I'm sort of paranoid. There's an army of slugs trying to take over the world, and my brother's one of them. A controller. You ever hear this saying that human beings are reluctant to change? I guess they've never met any of my friends before. If you want to save the world, you have to change. When it comes to the Yerks, all we know is that they're trying to destroy us. Everyone we know and our planet. But we're a threat to them. Five teenagers. I know my friends and I can save Tom. I'm going to use Elthangor's gift. The power to morph. I realize what's at stake here. It's the total ruin of our planet by the Yerks. And it's scary. Every time I do something, I get a little stronger and I get smarter. I'm scared too. But fear doesn't stop me. Because I'm more afraid of what will happen if I don't do anything. And when I morphed into the tiger, you know, I wasn't afraid for a second. No Yerk was going to stand in my way. Feeling like the tigers changed me, you know, made me confident, stronger. I'm not as afraid anymore. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. So, Coleman... We are uh, reading a very interesting book tonight, The Forgotten. Well, technically, we're not reading anything. We read it like a week ago. Well, it's kind of like, it's kinda like it. we're reading it to our our listeners. All of whom have already read it. In fact, I don't even know what our discussion of each plot point is really for. We're putting it all in a new light, you know? We're, we're just kind of... We're here to, to guide you through the story and tell you what it's all about. I would like to think uh, that going through the plot points breeds discussion. Yeah, usually. I'm, I, it seems like we always have something stupid to say about roach morphs or <laughs> <laughs> the, whatever local alien species is introduced. Oh, Rachel's being willful again. <laughs> Let's discuss that. Uh, so you, you said something before the show. Uh, you had something you wanted to bring up that's super secret and you couldn't tell me about because you wanted the impact to be on the show live. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. I would. I would love to have your live reaction for this uh, <laughs> dazzling revelation. You're I'm building about it to up. Drop on you. You're you're putting some hype behind it, so it better be able to. Well, it's it's been uh it's been quite a few years in the making, so I'm pretty excited about it. And I will let you know right now, uh, I just purchased the last two Animorphs books that I needed to fill out my collection. Right now, you edit in uh, edit in applause. <laughs> Remember that when you're editing. No, I'm just going to leave that, <laughs> what you just said. Um, yeah, you're, you're a son of a bitch. I, uh, <clears throat> I figure the books I still need, which is three, I only need three more, I figure they're so random. In the it's like thirty eight, uh, forty two, and something else um, that I'll just I'll buy them off Amazon when we get close. Yeah, you know that was going to be my strategy, but um, the last two books I needed uh, was number forty nine and number fifty three, um, and those two are so much more expensive than all the other books. I could not find copies of either of them for less than ten dollars. I think uh, I paid. 
$10 for one of them and $12 for another one. But all the other Animorphs books I've ever found have been super cheap, like two fifty, maybe a buck fifty at Goodwill. Mm-hmm. And I, I just could not for the life of me imagine <laughs> why these two particular books had such a high markup. I mean, I know they're towards the end of the series, so there's probably less prints of them available or something like that, but I was not expecting to pay that much. Now, have you bought any of the uh, any of the remade books, the newer ones? The remakes? No. Hmm. Those are harder to find, though. It seems like uh, even though they, you know, went to all this trouble of reprinting and trying to reboot the series, almost they're they're the hardest books to find. Really? No, I guarantee they're in your normal bookstore. But when I started buying them, because you know I'm a good Animorphs fan and I wanted to put more money in Kay Applegate's pocket and and show that the series still has legs if they would support it. It's in a weird place in the bookstore. Like I, I found a couple of Barnes & Noble, found a couple of uh, uh, Books A Million. You know what's weird? I went to a Barnes & Noble uh, looking for, for Animorphs books to round up my collection, and I couldn't find any at all. That's what I'm saying. They're probably there. It's just I've never seen more disorganization than in the children's section of a bookstore. Like, they're... The process that they put these things up, it's not like the Dewey Decimal System or something. It's, <laughs> it's, it's something crazy. I, I don't know. But um, I found that you have to find the Goosebumps books first. And then you go three shelves to the left, and they're usually at the bottom. And it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's like alphabetized by Applegate or anything. It's it's some weird system that they don't tell Yeah, I, I have only been able to find them, I think, in like the children's chapter books section. Yeah. Which is like... Really, really uh, splitting hairs there. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's it's similar to the other books, uh, the uh, the other novelizations and stuff, but it's its own little section, and it's usually like hidden. So I don't know. Well, and that is exactly why the the reboot of this should have uh, maybe shot for that young adult shelf, which is getting so much attention these days. <laughs> yeah, they could have if they would have, uh, like we've talked about in the past, put all. The- put like the first five books into one tome because that's what kids want nowadays they want they want to pick up a thousand page book and feel like they're accomplishing something i don't know it seems like uh seems like the strategy for at least some of these animorphs is uh quantity over quality <laughs> <laughs> look kids kids nowadays you've got seven-year-olds reading game of thrones so you, know, <laughs> you, gotta, up your, you gotta up your annie as a uh, as a Game of Thrones, young children. let me tell you, uh, is way out of the reading level of a seven-year-old. <laughs> uh, what else did we have to talk about here? I have something that was going to be part of the normal discussion of this book, but as I was writing it, uh, I thought uh, needed its own conversation outside, and, you know, not distracting from the plot lines we'll get into later. Oh, of course. Um, so there's a section in this book later on in The Forgotten where Axe is talking about how wondrous earth is like they're walking through the rainforest spoilers uh they're walking through the rainforest and there's so much life around them and axe is just like oh my gosh you're all your planet is amazing oh my goodness and this is something i see in a lot of sci-fi books and you know movies and tv shows and stuff and it pisses me off every single time everybody acts like earth is this amazing like whoa you have so much more life on this planet than we do or or this planet you know you you have so many different temperate zones and uh you have so many different regions and stuff and it makes no sense if you have any planet out there 
it's going to sustain life, then life is going to be like we have it here. It's going to be microbes flying off the shelf, mutating, turning into a thousand different things, and then, you know, 18,000 species of beetle. You know, that's, that's going to be anywhere that there's life. And for some reason, we go to Star Wars, and there's just an ice planet and a sand planet. And, you know, it's just, it's dumb. It's it's really, really dumb. Hey, lay off uh, Hoth. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars. I'm just saying, <laughs> look at Star Wars. Look at all the life in that galaxy. One galaxy, and you see, you look in every single frame, there's a different alien. But for some reason, I don't know, just when they're building these worlds and in so many different sci-fi universes, uh, there's always some stupid alien who makes a comment about, uh, how Earth is so incredible, and we got to save Earth because there's no other planet like it. And I, I guess it's just human, human fictional pride in our fictional universes. What can I say? We are a patriotic people, us Earthicans. Yeah. Well, the biggest uh, offender, now that I think about it, is uh, the game Mass Effect. Uh, did you play any of those? I can't remember. I played roughly several hours of Mass Effect 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay well it's, an, it's a pretty amazing universe i mean they really did a good job of making a new modern sci-fi epic with like iconic species and like their own backstories they, they did an amazing job building those universes uh but uh it actually does something that goes a step further than what i was just talking about where the whole main story which is also pretty uh, kind of a new twist on uh our place as humans in a galaxy if there's tons of aliens where uh, we're kind of this, uh, the Mass Effect 1, we're this new race who's just, you know, just started experiencing intergalactic politics and, and coming into our own and trying to be uh, one of the important races in the galaxy. And, you know, we're being made fun of by all these other aliens, we're distrusted, there's like all these racial, uh, racist undertones against humans and tons of other things. It's really clever and really good. But as you go through the Mass Effects, even though the other ones are great stories as well, it goes so far into humans being right about something and climbing the political ladder. And by the end of Mass Effect 3, we've saved the galaxy and we've united all the other aliens who've been bickering for centuries with each other. But we've united them under the human banner and we've basically taken... An over... American flag. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and especially if you play Renegade, which is their... Um, there's two different ways to play. You know, there's Renegade and, and um, oh gosh, I forgot the good side. But it's, you know, basically picking good or bad how you play the game. And if you play Renegade, you actually are playing to uh, have human dominance over the other alien species. So you get rid of, like, like the universal UN. You get rid of all the seats. You have them killed. And uh, humans take the place of most of the seats of power. And it's oh, it gets pretty crazy. Sweet. <laughs> um. But anyway, it's just something. Oh, man, there's so many movies and TV shows that 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 are so humanistic. I'd, I'd like to see some uh, diversity in these fictional universes that are being created around us. Yeah, I'd like to create some. If you equal know what rights, I mean. <laughs> equal rights for aliens. That's what I want to see. Uh, the last thing that I feel like we should mention is that uh, we've been neglecting our good buddy Seropedia over here. Yeah. And there is a lot of useful uh, trivia information towards the bottom of each page entry or book entry. What has Seropedia ever done for us? Well, it's, it's not. Ask not what Seropedia can do for you, but ask <laughs> what podcast you can put Seropedia on. 
I'm just saying the one time that we tried to use Seropedia's, uh, we tried to get lazy and use Seropedia's summary instead of writing our own, and it has some glaring omissions. Yeah, well, yeah, they just, it, it's not as, I don't, but some of them are like super specific, which is weird. It's because, it's because the fans write them, I think. Well, if the fans write them and they're rewritable, we're writing these notes for every single episode. Oh, we should go in and become editors. You want to suggest that we rewrite Seropedia? Why not? Who better than us, uh, <laughs> leaders in the industry? <laughs> no, my my notes are, are super broad, and I don't think they'd be useful to anyone but myself. Yeah, no, no, I love the first line of your notes for this episode. Jake Book. <laughs> See, that's the kind of insight that Seropedia is really missing. Well, you know, I can't always look at the cover and instantly recall. Was this Jaguar book? Okay, yeah. When did he become an animorph? <laughs> I did want to point out one thing, though, uh, looking at the Seropedia entry for this. In the contributions to the series story arc section, uh, it lists the Sario Rip and time travel are first introduced in the series. Yes, this makes sense uh, in the case of the Sario Rip, but... Do we not consider The Stranger their first time travel book? No. I believe it should be. No, I don't believe that's time travel. I think that's, uh, as I said in the episode, um, I don't think it's an alternate timeline so much as the Elimist manipulating them and showing them what he wants them to see. But they made such a point of saying that that's the future. I mean, like... The Elimist made such a point of telling them it was the future. So you're implying that instead of actually time traveling with them, he just rendered them all unconscious. He, he, he drugged them all, put them to sleep, and put these images in their heads. He's the limit. He doesn't have to do any of that. He can put the entire memory of them doing that and seeing those things just into their heads. Even if it's not real time travel, the fact remains that they still traveled to the future... And it was very real to them. As far as I'm concerned, they watched a movie. <laughs> they watched a very elaborate laser laser light show. <laughs> Pretty much. Some of them. Um, you could argue that that was time travel. I just think uh, with the strings the Elimis is pulling, you want them to see a certain thing. Why take the trouble of, you know, altering time and space when you have all the power to just put images in their heads? I don't. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's not be too hard on Seropedia. I mean, no, it's a good maybe, resource. Maybe it maybe it just meant that the time travel via Sario Rip is first introduced into the series. That's what I'm saying. You're the one bashing Seropedia. You know I'm what? I am going to start editing it, and I'm going to start with this right here. I'm going to change this. Uh, and it, as it just so happens, the trivia for this book is surprisingly lame. Um, so we're not even going to bother with it. But we had toyed around with the idea of perhaps doing a different sort of podcast episode and uh, maybe rehash the uh, first couple of books that we've already read, the first 10 or 11 books that we read, and do the trivia for those and just random chit-chat. Well, basically what we're really discussing is adding a new segment to the show each week where we go to Seropedia or maybe various other places around the internet and find trivia for each individual book. So we would have a new section where we do that, and we talk about the trivia of the book, and kind of like an IMDb trivia section or something, where we discuss that and bring up cool little notes about how something was written or something. Using Seropedia! But obviously, we've 
if we add that segment in now, we have 10 episodes where we didn't do that. So to make up for that, we would go back, find all the trivia for the first 10 books, and do like an After Dark episode, like you were talking about. Now, I'm unfamiliar with this term you use, After Dark. Well, it's a podcasting term, I think, in the sense that I've seen tons of podcasts. Really? Because I've only heard you use it. Basically, it's a great way to say that I don't have to edit, edit the episode. It would just be a raw discussion off topic. So we're not reviewing, we're not putting in these sections, you know, all this stuff. It would just be straight up, you you and I discussing trivia of the show. And we would just release it, it'd be a quick little thing we could release, and maybe we could do one every once in a while on different topics um, that show your hosts of Thought Speak in a new light, a raw and probably unforgiving light. <laughs> yeah, we're regular kings of comedy here. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, I've just... Uh, a lot of the podcasts I listen to, every once in a while, they'll put one out. And yeah, for some reason, everybody calls it after. I think it's after dark because it's like an uncensored uh, episode. Hmm. Yeah. Is that uh, is that the one we're going to call Private Thought Speak? <laughs> we toyed around with that. That's a good name for it. I enjoy that. Speaking of new sections, have you seen the sharing? Uh, yeah, I saw it on the website. It's, and... it's uh, yeah, it's at the... Uh... Bottom of the previous episode, uh, speaking of the sharing, that really only works, you know, if uh, our listeners continue to send us pictures of stuff. Now, granted, I lobbied for us having a new section on our website called The Sharing, where we could post people's collections, random artwork, uh, things that we find around the internet that are animals related. So I don't know which the fans would like more. Probably my idea. But, uh... (laughs) Well, that, yeah, your your idea is just an evolution. It's an evolution of the sharing, brother, and it's happening. We should, we should be evolving the sharing and growing its base. Yeah, no, no harm can come from that. One might say it's our mission on this planet. Uh, so email us lots and lots of pictures of completely random things. And maybe we'll throw them on this new section that you don't know about yet. Draw a picture of Coleman. As an Andalite. He's, he's got a picture. Check the uh, Meet the Host Bodies section on our website if you ever go there. Yeah, it was, it's a great new section that had horrible things written about me until I found it and re-edited mine. I'm assuming that no one saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming we're talking to the ether here. No one's listening. Perhaps we should start talking about the book. You want to talk about the book? Uh, I think we should. Uh, let's talk about the book. these things then you just attack me right now so some of you are still human this thing doesn't want to show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it and then it's one
Alrighty, righty Well, tonight we are talking about Animorphs Book 11, The Forgotten. It's beautiful. The uh, front has a lovely red and blue color scheme, which I actually really like. I think it's probably my, my favorite color scheme. Yeah, it's like books. a burnt orange, awesome looking. And the logo is even golden with just white letters. That's nice. It's a good looking book, Scholastic. Nothing is what it seems for ellipses. <laughs> I know you love your ellipses. Grammar is not what it seems. <laughs> anyway, uh, skipping to the back of the book, which I shall read now. There's been an accident. Someone crash-landed a Yurk bugfighter, and the Yurks have been trying to cover it up quickly, but not before Tobias spots it. So the Animorphs and Axe decide to steal the ship to show the world that Earth has been invaded. That's when things go terribly wrong. Before they know it, Jake, the other Animorphs, and Axe find themselves in another place. Another time. And there's no way home. Ooh. Also, I, it just kills me. It kills me. The Animorphs and Axe. Like he's a third uh, wheel here. They've already established that he's an Animorph now. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why they, they do so much to separate his character, too. It's like they never really let him officially join the group. Like, just the original, the OG... Human kids are the animorphs. No, I, I don't think we can think that way. I think we need to be under the umbrella of thinking that uh, the people who drew the cover books or, or, you know, photoshopped them or however they did it back in the 90s, um, whoever were in control of those and the back, you know, summaries, I think they had a running bet going on. How long can we write and draw these things? without ever having read anything Animorphs related. How long can we get away with it? Could very well be. If so, they were winning. It was a long time. <laughs> they got to book 52 and Applegate was like, hey, you guys even read these things? They're like, ah, she got us. <laughs> They're like, whoa, th there's aliens in these? <laughs> what is this book series even about? It seems kind of cool. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, um, let's see. We've got... <clears throat> Jake transforming into a jaguar on the front, so I guess that means this is a Jake book. One thing that we can point out, which is of interest, is that uh, the chapters now start out with time. The time time stamps, time, time dates, numbers. That was something I really liked. For some reason, it gave, um, I don't know, it gave some gravity to the book. It kind of really grounded it in the real world for some reason, like more so than the other books. Like having... I know it's just a gimmick to sell the whole flashing time travel thing, but for some reason, just it made the book more of a slice of life uh, story, which I don't know. It really hit home with me. I, I really dug that. I almost wish the whole series was like that. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. But I think for this story in particular, it is uh, especially important to know the time since it's all very time sensitive, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, obviously. And, and the entire book takes place over the span of a couple of hours, which is something I don't think we've seen yet. Most of the books tend to run over the course of a few days at least. Yeah. Well, anyway, the chapters start out with a time now, and we get a relatively short Jake recap. It's not so bad. Although, I have something to say about that Jake recap. In fact, <laughs> I would like to have a reading. Oh, everybody pull up your seats. You know it's going to be a good book when we have to stop at the recap. And talk about something cool. I think. I didn't think there was anything. Well, I actually skipped over the recap, so. <laughs> Educate us, good sir. That's what I used to do when I was reading these originally. I'd be like, oh, recap. <laughs> and then find which, which page it stopped. Um, so anyway, so I just want to read this little section. 
Controllers. That's what you call a creature that is ruled by a yerk. A controller. Something that looks human, acts human, sounds human, but whose mind is a yerk. They are everywhere. They can be anyone. Think of the one person in the whole world that you trust the most. Think of that one special person. And now realize, believe, accept the fact that they might not be the person you think they are. Deal with the reality behind those friendly, loving eyes lives a gray slug. What? I mean, he gets he gets hardcore personal on... He's not even saying, like, hey, be careful. Your, your best friend might be a yerk. He's saying, look in their eyes and believe that you can't trust them. I thought it was especially kind of hardcore i had no idea i was skipping over that <laughs> it starts this uh it starts this book off with a bang wow it was just super personal and uh i thought it was a great way to start the jake book well it is kind of showing that you know they hate them i mean jake in particular hates the yurks yeah but it was just like it was such a i don't know cold shock of uh his perception of the yurks compared to you know marco's recapping right yeah well, Marcos are pretty dang spiteful, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they can be. Only when he goes into a blood rage and wants to, you know, murder people and Man, think on it. Maybe I'll have to start paying attention to the recaps from now on. I found that some of them are gold and some of them are just passing the time. Right. I guess that makes sense. Well, after that lovely recap, we get uh, a scene of Jake and Rachel square dancing in gym class, which is pretty humorous, actually. Yeah, it's not like uh, some of the other beginning scenes where they, they always try to do something like this, like some small moment in their lives or something they're doing outside of the Animorphs. And usually it, it kind of involves them using a morph. Um, this is this is one time where it really didn't rely on that. Instead, it relies on the next plot element that <laughs> yeah. gets repeated throughout the book, but still. And it's weird, too. I mean, it's like, you know, square dancing lesson in class. It's like something that's realistic. You could see it happening in some weird class. Uh, and the fact that it's Jake and Rachel is kind of cool, too, because it's just, like, you know, family members hanging out. I don't know. I like I like this scene a lot. And they are they are, they are are two of the more uh, kind of serious characters thus far. It's just yeah. interesting seeing them in more of a oh. comedy situation. There was also something. I didn't write it in my notes, but uh, I think there was some part, too, where Jake was. He's still kind of recapping a little bit while they're stiff square dancing. And he talks about Rachel uh, and how... He says it, like, everybody says this about Rachel, like, oh, she's got a scary side, too. But he says it in a way that's actually kind of, like, dark. Like, he, he says something about the way of, uh, he's seen Rachel go wild or something, and she scares him. Like, it's the first glimpse of, like, that future trouble they'll have where she's actually out of control. Um, but, but he says it in such a way that it's, like, he's actually, like, you could see in the back of his mind thinking, like, yeah, she's gonna be a problem. <laughs> well... He's the leader, so, uh, you know, he should be keeping tabs on all of his soldiers, quote Yeah, unquote. but it's juxtaposed between them, you know, dancing and having a fairly normal time in class. It's just, it's it's the epitome of what these, these books are about. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it was just doing that to set up who the characters are at this point, but... Sure. Very well done. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got Cassie joining in almost immediately. I don't know what she's... She's skipping class, trying to check in on Jake. I think this is, like, close to the summer or something. That's why all the classes are kind of, like, just, you know, making up stuff for them to do or something. Yeah, I don't know. It, it could be. Or it could be the fact that she's in study hall and heard her BF, or wannabe BF, <laughs> is dancing. Or she's just a suck-up, so, like, the teacher let her do whatever she wants. You know, could I could be. see that. People were like that in high school. <laughs> Well, anyway, Jake and Cassie are uh, 
they end up dancing. And this was uh, almost a kind of a cool moment because it's it's so silly. And then as soon as uh, Jake and Cassie are in close, uh, she mentions to him that, you know, Tobias has something big to tell them after school. And it just feels like uh, like a really like almost like a spy moment or something, you know? It just kind of takes away from all the uh, the silliness. Oh, yeah, because even though she's there and she's laughing, she's making fun of them and stuff, once, you know, when she gets in their clothes, uh, you can see that the entire reason she came and came over was to warn them about something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, which is usually how these beginning chapters go. If they're not, you know, morphing elephants and throwing people, they're... <laughs> Telling him, telling him Tobias or Axe or Eric has a mission for him to run. Yeah, well, our, our little Cassie's growing up. I mean, she's uh, she's a she's lying and deceiving with the best of them. You know, walking into this classroom. Right. Well, she's gonna need that skill. She can't always rely on Flymorph for all of her stealth. <laughs> <laughs> Random uh, occurrences and luck. <laughs> and then just the last thing to happen in this chapter is Jake experiences what I will dub a time flash. Eh? Eh? Sounds like a CBS show. Time Flash. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is the main feature of this book. This is what it's all about. These these flashes. We, we don't know they're time flashes yet. We're just like, well, no. Uh, it, 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 he's dancing one moment, you know, chatting with Cassie, and then the next moment he is, uh, I believe, he's swinging through the jungle. Um, and yeah, it's, that's kind of a weird thing to experience when you're in the middle of square dancing. Yeah, and he makes a point that it's not, it's definitely not daydreaming. It was, for a second, he felt and saw and really knew he was in a different place. It yeah, it, it was real, yeah. is the thing. And uh, he doesn't mention to anyone at this point that he's having these time flashes. Well, he just has one right now, so. Well, yeah, but I mean, he didn't say, hey, Cassie. I know we're just dancing, but let me tell you about my yeah. time flash. Well, I think it's because she didn't react at all. So it's like, it's not like something the Animorphs experience. It was just him. So. Right. Yeah. And then we get, uh, we get an after school moment between Jake and Marco who are on their way to meet up with Tobias. And I remember it being, uh, kind of a nice chapter. Whenever, whenever they're just going somewhere, like chatting, it's all, it's always enjoyable. Tobias flying overhead. That happens a lot. Right, yeah. Well, Tobias has got nothing to do, so of course he's always nearby. <laughs> he, uh, Tobias, you know, once they get to a safe area, Tobias, you know, tells them what the big deal was and the whole fact that he, uh, did he witness? He, 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 he just simply tells them we need to get down to Safeway, which is a grocery store, because they're having a sale on high-ranking controllers. And everyone's like, what? What does that mean? You know? Yeah. And and this is, yeah, when he takes them there and shows them that something clearly crashed through the parking lot and into this Safeway grocery store. And the Yerks are desperately trying to cover it up. So at this point, they really have no idea what's there. It's just they assume, you know, it's a, another Yerk cover-up. Yeah. If the Yerks are interested, we need to be interested. Exactamundo. And this is when um, they discover that their Vice Principal Chapman is, of course, there with a bunch of controllers, and everyone's kind of freaking out here, asking Jake what they should do next, and he has another time flash. 
And this is where we see Jake kind of start, like, he's almost kind of breaking down as a leader. Because he's so unsure of what these time flashes are, that he's just, he's finding it more and more difficult to make all these decisions for the group. And everybody's really relying on him more. Yeah, this this whole book, I mean, it's, if you see the books that we just came off of, Jake was very leader, you know, very leadery in those ones and doing a good job. So the group has really become reliant on his decisions. And maybe this has been happening on for a while, but this is the first chance we've gotten to see into Jake's mind for a few books. And we see that he's just not handling it well. He's he's made some bad decisions. And especially in this book, he starts making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And uh, it did, of course, make some question everything. And, and the fact that he never took on this role completely, he never asked for it, obviously, as he goes on and on about. Um, but now it's like it's it's them becoming more of a formal military group you know they're they're becoming a group that's not so joking about what they're doing and haphazardly running in and hoping for the best now they're planning more they're becoming more intricate and they need someone to actually step up and formally say i'm telling you what to do and if we don't do it as i say we're all gonna die and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to step into that yet no yeah this is very much the story of how jake got his groove (laughs) <laughs> she goes became a leader yeah <laughs> or at least how he utterly screws it all up <laughs> or how he learned to stop fearing the yurks and uh and love the sario rip <laughs> yeah so they're really putting the pressure on jake right now to be an effective leader and guide them and tell them what to do and what with these time flashes happening he's starting to have some doubts about himself uh Regardless, they or he decides that they should come back later on tonight to investigate. And so that was the plan. And yeah, like you said, they they actually start discussing what morphs they should use um as they're they're walking to meet Axe. Which so, is kinda new. I mean they've they've decided on morphs in the past. Well yeah, so they they've more... decided on like one broad, you know, morph uh, for a specific mission, but now they're they're more like well going down the list of what they have. Yeah, yeah, effective. exactly. They're they're just being more strategic and more thought out with it. And yeah, part of it's probably having a slightly larger repertoire to choose from. But I think uh, <laughs> it shows a lot of growth for the entire team when they're like, oh no, we should use this morph because this and blah blah blah. blah. I'd love to see. I'd love to see like later in the series, like when they have a ton of morphs. They do something similar to this, and Marco, being just super clever and, and hilarious, like convinces them to use something ridiculous. Like they're like, "Okay, we're gonna break into this uh, bank, and we gotta find what the Yorks are keeping in this safe." And Marco's like, "Orca whale," and they're like, "What?" And then he says, "Marco, what are you talking about?" <laughs> Marco's like, "What?" I don't care what you all morph. I'm going orca whale. Immediately, Rachel's like, I'm going orca whale too. <laughs> and, and, and Jay's like, whoa. And he's trying to stop this. And Cassie's like, got all these reasons for why they shouldn't do it or whatever. And in the background, Marco and Rachel are slowly turning black and white. <laughs> getting bigger. Tobias is like, I'm more than a sky cam. I'll morph orca too. He starts falling out of the sky, <laughs> changing to orca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that would be good. Um, no, man, oh, if I were, uh, if I were them in the later books, I would have like an Excel spreadsheet of all the morphs I've acquired. Cause I can I keep track of all of that. No, oh, I could. Uh, you gotta 
remember how could you not these every time they use a morph it's a traumatizing experience so because i would be smarter than them and not practicing on the fly i'd be like in my bedroom and i wouldn't go anywhere (laughs) well my thing would be it's just like uh it's just like you know how i play like a board game or something it's not a matter of remembering what morphs i have later the second i got this morphing ability i'd be like looking through wikipedia animal summaries like picking morphs that i want and i make a big list and then i track them all down and get them all at once <laughs> i want to be the very best <laughs> yeah uh oh, oh so anyway they decide on flies for the mission by the way because that as it turns out is the most appropriate morph to use to get in there uh, and Tobias, I wrote this in my notes, that Tobias insists on coming along for the mission, even though, we all know, he's basically useless. It's one of the first times they acknowledge it a little bit, though. I mean, they're they're kind of like, well, we, we're probably alright. We're good. <laughs> well, it is at night, and it's supposed to rain. We don't want to trouble you, Tobias. You You're can, a go bird. Home. You're good. <laughs> yeah. But they, this is where they also decide, um... That they're going to have to go, or there's a good spot across the highway or whatever, or nearby that they could uh, morph at, you know, yeah, without, yeah. without giving many details. They're going to a motel across the way. Sure, it won't be hard to get there. Across four morph. lanes of traffic in yeah. uh, Flymorph. Yeah. But this is the part where uh, Jake returns home and uh, speaks with his dad for a moment. And this is, you know, we finally get to see some uh, of Jake's parents a little bit. I feel like it's been forever, maybe since the first book, since we've seen them. Yeah. Or at least, you know, had any kind of speech from them or anything. Right. Well, they were towards the end of the capture, because, you yeah. know, Jake comes home and they make his little joke. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we actually got some uh, <clears throat> some stuff from his, his mom and dad. And his dad, in particular, reminds him about the big pay-per-view boxing match that they're supposed to watch tonight. I like that he doesn't blow it off. Um, I think in a normal Animorphs book, he would have made some excuse because, oh, the mission comes first. But he actually thinks this out, and he's like, no, I mean, I, I should do that, but I've got to I've got to have somewhat of a normal life where people are going to become suspicious, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it was also because Tom was there. Um, Doing the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, that would be awkward. Well, it's not awkward because neither of them know. Well... No, it would be awkward for Jake. I'm sure it's awkward as hell for Jake. <laughs> hey, Tom, did you see that left hook? It was, it was a pretty good one. Kind of kind of hit him in the temple. You think that hurt? Like, your brain getting damaged like that? <laughs> you think, yeah, he just drops, like, subtle little hints, like, man, sometimes I feel like just packing up and leaving town for three days. Or what do you say, Tom? Or you no, no, come no. with me? <laughs> or veiled threats. Like, that. that's what I'd love to see, a whole book of Jake being like, man, I mean, this this boxing, it really makes you realize how how defenseless our brains really are i mean a small bit of bone a little bit of skin just not much there <laughs> he's jay uh tom comes down to breakfast one day and jake's just watching like brain surgeries uh, on tv <laughs> i assume jake spontaneously signs tom up for uh, a free uh, ear exam <laughs> <laughs> leaves he keeps leaving dead slugs at his door <laughs> that he salted from the garden yes no, very I think, interesting i think he'd be dead in a fortnight <laughs> so yeah as you said jake does stay and watch the uh, boxing match because he says it shouldn't it shouldn't take you know the whole night it should be over hopefully with any luck soon. like three rounds i mean it's so. boxing you know the guy could go down on the first round 
but not not usually, but yeah. As it turns out, the uh, match runs a little long, in fact, and Jake just barely manages to make it in time. Yeah, he doesn't cause... make it in time. He's he's like thirty minutes late. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not late enough because they still go through the mission. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they're gonna wait for him. He's the leader. Um, but yeah, he's he's like thirty minutes late, and they're all just kind of hanging out on this, you know, in this under this whatever it is pavilion or in oh, this parking lot. BT Dub. On the way over, he also had another time flash. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> Important to mention. So he's very disoriented. He's coming into this whole thing. And uh, I remember that everybody has, you know, like super bad vibes about going on the mission. And they they actually have a, a discussion on whether or not they should go through with it. Which is kind of weird. Usually once they've gotten this far into doing a mission, they're, you know, just accepting that they're going to do it. This one, yeah, they're all bringing into question, and Jake specifically says he has some weird feeling that's like, should we really do this? And I mean, they're just, they're just, this is a spy recon mission. This is even, like, usually a main mission in the books. Yeah, yeah, this is a, a surprisingly small mission for them to run. It's just some surveillance. Well, this is usually what they do in all the other books, like, before the big mission. Um, but despite having bad feelings about it from everyone, it's unanimous. <laughs> they all go through it anyway. <laughs> Um, and yeah, they all more fly and try to cross over four lanes of uh, road in a rainstorm. Which... So you got globules of rain falling around them. Jake almost gets hit by a windshield. Yeah, everybody's getting hit by rain. He has another time flash. It's, it's not a good time. And I'd just like to point out, I don't know, this isn't going to be very clear, uh, unless I can say it correctly. I don't, I don't know if anybody else can this vibe. Uh, but this part of the book specifically... Uh, this mission, the lead up to this, uh, with the the big fight and all that stuff, um, something about this book feels different. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just like this commanding tone of a Jake book that we haven't seen in any of the other ones, or uh, something about the urban mission, like the way it's just you know they're in this parking lot and they're crossing a highway and they're going to this grocery store. Uh, but maybe it's even the time at the beginning of each chapter. Something just feels better about this book. You know what it so is. Far. There's what? there's no Cassie's barn in this book. Maybe, but I think this one just feels so real world. So in the in other fact, books, there's there's no woods in this book other than the Amazon rainforest. That's true. Uh, just something just feels more real about this book. It's just, it's it's in this urban environment. It's it's everything that's happening so far. The mission they're taking. It's a lot smaller world. You know, just going to this grocery store and reconning something. Um, but so far, I'm, I'm just really digging the tone of this book it's really working on me for some reason i i, I can't explain it no i i totally get you you just verbalized what i held in my heart <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so they make it across the highway as you were saying of course yeah because it's only like chapter seven they all die <laughs> whatever book series over <laughs> they they make it over to the safeway um and this is when cassie overhears chapman mention a uh, new bug fighter prototype is what crashed there and yeah, it's a it's a very scary recon mission <clears throat> since Cassie has decided to, for no reason, land on Chapman's head. Well, she's done it before. It's familiar territory, <laughs> right? She's got like a little condo there. Um, <laughs> she knows the people. The and it's also worth mentioning, I guess, that at this point, everyone else is like, "Oh, we can't really understand what people are saying in Flymorph," um, but Cassie has spent enough time in Flymorph now that she is adept at, you know, 
hearing human speech. That's that's, that's gotta say something. <laughs> it's a nice touch. The fact that they're they have different abilities from each other, just the sense that from their experience, it's it's kind of cool. Or it's just a really convenient writing method. It, it's it's writing convenient, tool. but it's also based in what they've told us before, which is the best writing. <clears throat> I suppose that's true. Well, anyway, uh, the team hears that this bug fighter is going to be moved in three hours' time. So they need to start thinking about, you know, if they're going to do anything, what they're going to do. Again, it's it's just another decision piled on Jake. Yeah, and he uh, foolishly decides to play the Marco card and try to make a joke of the situation. But unlike Marco, they all take him dead serious. Yeah, yeah. They, they, if Marco had said it, they would have looked to Jake, you know, or at least asked to see if it would even fly. <laughs> Rachel would have turned to Marco and, like, punched him in the gut. Shut up. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah, Jake uh, very jokingly suggests that they steal this bug fighter and fly to Washington, D.C. to meet the president. And everyone just goes along with it. <laughs> I want to see that book. <laughs> um, It'd be like the ending of the uh, Tim Burton remake of Planet of the Apes. Like, <laughs> a spaceship lands in the Washington Mall. <laughs> gets that would out. be awesome. Jake gets out. Mr. President. There's a bunch of apes everywhere for some reason. I was a dog. So, Jake basically puts... You know, he's, he's making all these bad decisions, he's questioning himself, and he decides to make another one where he uses Tobias as a distraction. Because they're, they're, they're thinking that, you know, by this point, any collection of Yurks are going to be on point to look for any animals acting weird or anything for Animorphs. So uh, he uses that by putting Tobias into danger to oh, get definitely. them inside the bug ship. Yeah, yeah, he, his his plan is uh, basically to use Tobias as a bullet shield because all he does is fly around once through the room. Just once, Jake says. Well, he flies around and then his escape gets blocked. And it's like, well, yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> so he's trapped in there and they're shooting at him. And I don't know why they didn't just plot for him to fly into the bug fighter as well. Unless that would, you know, give away their location, I guess. Yeah, they were trying to keep a secret that they'd be in there. And plus, you know, at this point, Tobias is like a third wheel. It's like, oh, then we got to put up with a bird inside. And... <laughs> He's going to be crapping all over the control console. We have to we have to find something to feed him with and <laughs> get a little perch. Well, once everybody is inside the, the new bug fighter with Tobias, they close the hatch and everybody demorphs. And it's quite cramped in there. I think they mentioned. Yeah, and you got the controllers banging on the door outside trying to get in, which is kind of stupid, but... Uh, <laughs> Let us in! <laughs> it gives tension to the moment of them being like, come on, X, you know, get this thing going. Yeah, X just manages to start the ship in time before the controllers do something, I don't know. Yeah, and they, we go into uh, a great scene where this is actually in the uh, back of the book of the last book, The Secret. Um this this is the section that's you know on next week's Animorphs. Check out this scene, and uh, it's Jake and Marco fighting over weapons controls and and Marco uh, making Mar Star Trek references. Oh, tons <laughs> of Star Trek references. Great, um, and and the whole time, and then we have a Harry Potter, uh, you know, moment where they're like, "Hey, we're flying, but the cloak isn't working." Oh no! People can see us. 
people in West London are going to see our flying Angelica <laughs> or Angelina. Or, I can't remember the name of that British car. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and immediately they are uh, spotted by some uh, F-16 <laughs> fighter pilot jets. Well, they, they got caught on radar. And then F-16s were... If anything, if there's an unidentified craft over uh, you know, the American territories, you know, the sky... Over L.A.? You will, you will have F-16s over you very quickly. Well, not anymore. Like F-22 Raptors now. But still. You're going to have some badass jet on you. This, this is even pre-9-11. And they still... Uh, we're still policing there pretty heavily. <laughs> well, uh, they managed to ditch these uh, guys pretty quick, obviously, since they're in a spaceship. However, X, I don't know what he does here, but he loses control, or he says the controls are difficult to work, and the ship just blasts straight into space, which is a pretty advanced spaceship to be able to take off from the atmosphere into space. Uh, yeah, did you mention they, they fly into space? and? Run directly into the blade ship? Yeah, this is the one moment that's just like, Visitor 3. Oh, here it is! Here he is. Visitor 3 rears his ugly head again. Granted, there's not much in space. I'm sure the Yurks are uh, on top of things, especially over the area where most of their operations are going on. So maybe the blade ship does kind of hang out there. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. Um, The just Axe losing control of the. well, controls and blasting so far out of. <laughs> no, no, I like that because that's that's Axe's character. Yeah, I can handle this. This is oh, it's Yerk technology, which of course is not as good as technology. I should be able to handle it fine. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you put it that way, I yeah, totally I will Axe. admit though I rarely think of Axe as you know like just one of the kids, like a teen. No, I think they I think they write him really well in that. Because he, it's perfect for the Andalites, because even if you met an adult or a kid or anything, I think their kids are probably the snottiest little kids in the world who try to act like, you know, warriors when they're like eight, and they try to talk like them and everything. So I can totally see an Andalite teenager, you know, he's talking down to humans, he's he's acting like an adult, but he keeps, just like the rest of them, he keeps making dumb decisions and, and overplaying his cards. Yeah, I suppose, when you put it that way. Yeah, I, I, I guess you made me see that I see Axe as an adult. <laughs> Look, I wish you would just realize that these are uh, these are some real writers working on these books, and they know what they're doing. I'm not even being sarcastic. They they have a handle on this. No, yeah, Axe is a great character. Damn, man. I'm just saying. Hey, we're going to get a ton of emails, everybody being like, stop bashing Axe. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't get him like I do. He's my favorite character, so he's good. Right. So we were talking about the blade ship. Something. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So uh, they decide that they they can't, you know, escape the blade ship. They can't outrun it. Um. So their only option is to fight. Once again, they should have forced into sh- a visit three fight. They should have Independence Day it. Uh, pretended they were a friendly ship. Yeah. That might have worked, except for the fact that, you know, all the controllers down in the uh, in the old Safeway probably immediately reported Andalite bandits stole this experimental new bug ship. I don't know. I think I think you take a while for Chapman to get back in his secret little basement room and fire up his Z transponder. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, memories. So, yeah, so so they do make the foolish decision. 
And I don't know why Axe backs this. It's kind of, it's pretty dumb. But, um, you know, let's fire on the ship. And it's almost like maybe they're kind of accepting their fate. And they're like, well, let's see if we can do any damage to it. Maybe. Do you get that feeling from it? Or Yeah, basically. Well, it's another, it's, they, they are constantly, it's like in The Message. Um, you know, where they realize they can't outrun him. And they realize all that they can do is run out the clock until they're dead. And so they're like, well, we might as well go out attacking. They have a lot of these go out attacking mentality kind of moments. That follows it through the series, too. (laughs) Basically. And when they're done trying to sacrifice themselves, they start sacrificing other people. (laughs) (laughs) So true and sad. Um, Let's see. We've got both both the Animorphs and uh, Visitor 3. They have a laser beam off. Firing Draken beams at each other, and this is something I don't get. The Draken beams collide, and let's... We're not spoiling anything to say a Saurio rip is what occurs from that. Which is like a temporal distortion that, you know, allows the surrounding area to be in flux of time and space, I guess? Basic, I don't... Some Doctor Who BS. That some they Star Trek up. stuff, basically. <laughs> and and it's, it's this is a classic storytelling thing. I mean, you go back, we've already referenced Harry Potter a little bit. Uh, gosh, this was a major plot point in Harry Potter. Every time two, you know, brother wands would hit each other at the same time with a spell, they would rebound oh, yeah. into something. Summon some... Captain Planet, and the Doctor joins them to fight the Sith. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, you got both ships falling into the ground, uh, back to Earth. Oh, wait, what I wanted to say was, shouldn't Sario Rips be, like, fairly common What with all the Dracon beam shooting these controllers are doing throughout the series? No, I'd like to reference now something way nerdier than uh, what we've been discussing and what we're discussing now. Were, were you going to say that the handheld Dracon beams probably have different levels of charge than the No, but that's a good point. Mounted? That's a good point, and we're going to do an entire After Dark episode just talking about <laughs> Beams. We're going to talk about the specifications of the ship-mounted Dracon beams. But no, no, I want to go into, um, there's this uh, book series based on the Halo video games. And the first, like, four or five books are actually really, really good standalone books. Uh, but they go into the science of uh, ship-to-ship space battles and lasers and densities. And, and really mostly about the statistics of hitting another ship in space. So if you think about what it would go into for like a computer to program pinpointing another ship in a vast you know space with mo- hundreds and thousands of miles in between ships and all the tedious boring crap you don't want to read. No, it's great. The Halo books got it. Yeah, but but it goes into that, and so I think it doesn't happen very often because even if you have two ships Star Wars style like side to side just firing at each other, the chances of a beam of light hitting another beam of light in the exact same angle or the same uh, proportions. Oh yeah, you'd have to be like dead on, you mean. Yeah. And I think this is a big part of the fact that both of these are Yerk technologies. So it's not like an Andalite ship firing on a Yerk ship where they might, you know, create their laser beams completely differently out of different substances or different, you know there might be so many variables there. This is two ships that have probably probably pretty similar technology since this is a prototype, so it's trying to have better weapons and stuff. And so you probably have pretty close in size and power weapons hitting each other, and maybe that's a big part of it. But but Axe does say 
you know, he, when they talk about this later in the book, he knows what it is immediately. So this might be a little more common than I'm giving it credit. Yeah. Yeah, actually. I mean, he did say he you know, studied it in school, had a class on it. Yeah, and he's like, oh, it's a sorry rep. You know, it's like, so, um, there's probably some pretty, oh, man, I can think of the probably amazing books you could write of just, like, naval combat between, like, dome ships and yerk pool ships and stuff, and, like, these Saria rifts being created, and them using those, like, uh, like you would use, like, battlefield, you know, hills and bunkers and stuff. I want the all-Andalite version of Ender's Game. Oh, my gosh, yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, wow, I want to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Andalite Ender, you cannot end the species. No, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be Prince, you know... Axis Elfanger, uh, Prince Elfanger. It'd be some ship battle with him, and and you know it's they're losing, and they've lost four dome ships, and oh, a mothership just arrived. We're so doomed, and they see that two Sario rips were created on the northeast corner of the planet's you know gravitational pull. So they they pull their ships into that, which lets them go back in time an hour where they can save one of their ships, and then bring another ship. Ah, oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> And then it all turns out to be just a ad for the board game Battleship, the new edition. <laughs> I would buy that Animorphs Battleship edition. You've sunk my Sario rip. <laughs> I would like to point out that, uh... oh yes, so their their beams have collided and <laughs> created a Sario rip. Everyone's crashing for some reason. And before they're falling to Earth, Cassie points out that uh, it's it's daylight in the Western Hemisphere now or something. No, she sees that it's daylight over um, the Middle East when before it was somewhere else. Or maybe I've got this backwards. Something like that. Well, yeah, exactly. She, she points out that there's a there's been a change in the daytime side yeah. of Earth. Exactly. Which is peculiar, but Marco's <laughs> like, who cares? I'm crashing. Are you seeing this? <laughs> I'm crashing over here, right? <laughs> and then they do crash, so. Well, and Jake has another time flash. But this time, interestingly enough, it's not uh, forward to the events that are yet to come. It is backward to, to the square, square dancing. dancing. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they crash into Earth. And they all die. <laughs> It was a dark series finale. The next chapter starts out time unknown. I like that. It threw you for a loop there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's I, I was I was on board with that time, and then it you know went unknown, and I was like, no, no, I have no idea. Exactly. Yeah, well, we've got Jake waking up uh, in a very crappy jungle, uh, very lost ass giant beetles that he's slapping off himself, and. Uh, ants that he has to avoid everywhere i mean it's, this is the real deal this is the rainforest as mm-hmm. crappy as the rainforest really is and it doesn't take too long a few minutes of him trying to figure out where he is and what's going on and what happened to the others before tobias flies in overhead dodging trees and vines and everything else <laughs> neighborhood sky cam is there i feel like tobias would if if this were a really realistic book he would have died pretty quickly in this jungle not really you don't think a uh, red-tailed hawk can handle the climate there i mean I'm, I'm sure it's hot as balls there well yeah it's hot as balls and then um you know what prey is he eating you know it says that he can't survive that long without eating and without even that not even think about that if you've seen any brazilian rainforest which is where they determine they kind of are um 
how is he flying under this canopy? Like, it's just vegetation from ground to canopy. I don't see how he's flying around. I don't know. I, I assume he's a there's a lot bird. of, like, hot air that is constantly moving around. I'm sure it's full of thermals. I'm just saying, no, no, I'm sure it's thermaling it up. I'm just saying there's no room. I'm sure there's vines and, and so many trees packed close together. I mean, the birds that exist in the rainforest are small little birds, not like hawks. Well, he could eat those. <laughs> I'm saying he can't fly. <laughs> the, the the scene uh, later when they're all morphing and acquiring monkeys, uh, if the camera would have panned over a little bit, Tobias is over there just eating one of the dead ones. <laughs> no, he's just ripping baby monkeys away from their mothers. <laughs> taking them to a branch. Cassie's like, well, he's got to eat. <laughs> but anyway, he, so Tobias, we keep getting off track on this episode of Hardcore. Oh, definitely. But Tobias... Uh, yeah, he, he leads Jake back to the others. And... Yeah, because conveniently, they're already all together and awake and sober, whatever. Cassie, using, uh, I assume, a hidden GPS, figures out they're in the uh, Amazon rainforest. Well, to be fair, she deduced that it was either the Amazon rainforest or some other lesser-known rainforest. That's a little silly. She she mentions, like, two places in the rainforest, but there's actually some pretty dense uh technically classified rainforests in like asia and stuff so there could have been quite a few oh yeah they, they, i mean they could be anywhere really and it you know it doesn't really matter it's it's generic rainforest setting Go. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she and axe are quick to point out that uh you know they created a saria rip and traveled through time <laughs> and the, the the situation is just completely and utterly horrible at this point i mean they are in a crashed bug fighter, which they're not even sure if they can fly out of there just yet. Even if they could, uh, they have traveled through time and they're not sure which way they've gone. They don't know if they're in the future. They don't know if they're in their past, which is a huge problem. Um, what else? Uh, the rainforest. Obviously, they're all in their morph outfits. Yeah, no shoes, of course. So that ain't good. And it's just a matter of uh, even if they could fly up, which I'm surprised they don't at least try it. But even if they could fly straight up and try to see where they are, see if there's anything close, they mentioned that, well, even if we do get out of here, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to call our parents from South America and be like, hey, right. pick me up? Yeah, yeah. They're they're quite screwed here in this. Which, not to go off reference again, but um, there's a great scene in the movie Little Monsters. You remember that movie with Fred Savage? Yeah, I do. I oh, my movie. gosh. I love the ending because that movie's all about going under your bed and entering the world of monsters. And uh, the beds of the entire world are connected to this underground world where the monsters live. And so at the end, they're running away from the bad guy and trying to get out of there before daybreak because they're all going to turn into monsters if they stay down there too long. And they just find a bed, get out of it. And it's like some beach in, uh, I think it is in South America. Uh, There's some beach they get up on and they find a payphone and they call their dad and they're like, hey, uh, <laughs> we need to get out of here. <laughs> I I don't remember that, but that's uh, the very end. Interesting. Yeah, it's a great movie. Great, great movie. <clears throat> well, next week on Thoughts Week, <laughs> <laughs> after dark episode, our review of Little Monsters. <laughs> uh, so the the team is in a terrible, awful, horrible, like potentially the worst situation they've ever been in, other than the ones where they were going to die. <laughs> so this is the. 11th worst situation they've ever been in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, at this point in the book, we have Axe 
noticing that there's something humanoid in the bushes over there watching them. And to Tobias, the bushes. <laughs> Tobias, you know, runs interference, checks it out. And uh, this is where blue, 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 Jake's trying to get some more information out of Axe about the Sario rips. And we have Axe hinting that he says that he, he didn't pay attention to that class specifically because of a game and a girl had his attention. That yeah. Uh, I assume the game is not, if they're not referring to like some sports activity he's going to do after school. He, he was probably just, you know, one of the kids who played like Yu-Gi-Oh at the tables <laughs> at lunch or something. Exactly. Magic the Gathering. Blue eyes, white dragon. <laughs> oh, you got me again, Axe I play trap card. Sorry, oh, rip. Oh, did we study that just now? <laughs> yeah. All of, all of the Andalite Yu-Gi-Oh cards are just normal things. It's just training for becoming a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so axe wasn't paying attention once again haha axe um and he says he can't repair the ship uh and this is when jake almost gets hit by a spear ah, but tobias warns him you know as he's always going to do just yeah. in the nick of time i don't know if uh i don't know if brazilian tribesmen would flat out just try to kill another human i think they're all the you see there's tons of like videos and stuff expeditions down there and uh they're actually pretty interested in whenever they see a white man come into their jungle they, they always want to try to talk to them and check them out yeah but you got to remember that uh a little bit later on in the story it's revealed um they already do not like visitor three so there you go that's that's the solution right there i mean <laughs> it's just visitor three's personality he doesn't make friends well so of course they're gonna be chucking spears at any any new people that they see, especially ones that are hanging out with the Andalite that resembles Visitor Three. That's true. That's true. So, in your face, Coleman. Uh, uh, just like the spear was almost in Jake's face. <laughs> so have my words punctured your pride and <laughs> tree bark behind you. What's that analogy uh, for? Yeah, we've got, we, and then immediately these uh, spear trucking kids take off. Uh, because there's like 20 to 30 hork tearing through the forest looking for Andalite bandits. And Jake makes another questionable leader call here. He he tells everyone that they have to bail, but Axe has got to remove something from the bugfighter first so that, you know, if the Yurks recover it, they can't fly it out of there and abandon them. Yeah, I mean, this um, is something that he questions later on, but I think this is actually not a bad decision because... He makes it on the fly, um, but he still thinks it out just enough to think that, you know, this could be our only way out. We, we can't take it with us. We can't protect it. So let's keep it in the same spot and, you know, disable it so we can come back to it later. That's not a bad Right, decision. yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's the right call for him to make here in this situation. But uh, the characters, uh, Tobias in particular, takes it pretty hard that, you know, Jake would have the stones to command one of them to stay back in such a dangerous situation. Despite the fact that Jake <laughs> ordered Tobias to do something dangerous, not hours before this event. Yeah, but Tobias has, you know, this guilt of not being able to help them. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, it really plays up to where they're at as Animorphs right now and the fact that, you know, they want Jake to be this leader and they are becoming more organized 
but it's still another thing to hear him give an order that one of them could die from. So they, they can't have it both ways. They either have to trust them, trust him completely to lead them or make, you know, make it a democracy, which never works in the military. We want this to be an oligopoly. Oh, Only like the richest Animorph will prevail. <laughs> well, who is the richest Animorph? Uh, Rachel, I By old-timey standards, Cassie owns land. So Ooh. that's that's something. Yeah, she owns half of uh, Northern California, apparently. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, her family are the, the guardians of the National Forest. There. Probably. Her parents are probably Animorphs, too. They're just hiding it from Cassie. <laughs> Whole other separate story. Oh my gosh, that that's a good book. That that's that's why they started an animal rehab clinic to acquire morphs. <laughs> um, because they knew their daughter's destiny. Yeah, I don't know. I think Marco's probably rolling in the bucks now. His dad's back into computing and oh, what? Just because they moved into an upscale condo downtown? <laughs> they didn't move into an upscale condo. They moved into the same neighborhood as Jake and them. Yeah, it's true. I guess. I'm just saying, his dad, you know, I know someone personally, Ben, you know, you know Ben, he, uh, friend of the show, Benjamin Tubb, um, <laughs> he, he, uh, uh, <laughs> he, uh, his dad is in, uh, microchips and, and he actually designed some of the, some of the first Canadian, I think, uh, not Canadian, his dad's British, I don't know, he's into computing and microchips and, and some military, uh, hardware, at least he was before he retired. And uh, I think he got, you know, no pun intended, quite a bang for his buck. Well, Rachel's mom is a lawyer, you gotta remember. <clears throat> and uh, her dad's even a, a, a big shot TV anchor. So oh, yeah, now he is. They make decent money. Oh, but Tobias is fan. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tobias has clearly got it the best amongst them. Um, You are right with the we are getting sidetracked thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the richest animal? <laughs> our new segment coming before every episode. It's the new segment in our After Dark episodes. <laughs> uh, we've got the Animorphs running through the forest and uh, leaving Axe behind. <clears throat> Tobias, of course, has to warn everyone that Axe is, you know, got all these controllers on his tail. You happy now, Jake? Yeah, the question him. Yeah, he, he, he gets pretty spiteful here with Jake for making such a dangerous call. And Jake uh, And then, of course, himself. Jake, yeah. on the fly, has to come up with another decision, which is uh, for him and Rachel to go in to to help uh, Axe. And Marco, was it Marco or Cassie? One of them says, why do we have to stay Marco. Out? Yeah, Marco. And, it, you know, Jake says, because we need backup. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Rachel, then, it's a weird decision of her to go grizzly. I mean, that's her battle morph, but... Seems no, like that would be she, really inconvenient. Well, think about it. She, uh, she's not going to fit the elephant in the Amazon in That's such true. tight spaces. She could go on wolf like Cassie Marco. No, she wants she wants sheer power. And I, like I told you, I think she uses the grizzly battle morph for for I don't know consistently throughout the series. Should have gone dolphin. <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah. Rachel even makes a, a, a decision of her own here. To go in without Jake, or to go in before. He specifically tells her, wait for me to finish morphing, and she's like, no, catch up. I wouldn't call it a decision as much as a blind rage, fueled by, yeah. by a psychopathic psyche. Well, and I guess that is the first bit of uh, 
this <laughs> new side of Rachel that's going to be continuously developing throughout the series. The best side. What do we got after that? Uh, they go in to help. I got. <laughs> I wrote Tiger and Grizzly fight some Horkmajir. <laughs> they do. It's actually a pretty good battle scene. Uh, they're dodging trees and and trying to you know get into them without you know putting themselves in danger because there's so many Horkmajir. It's, it's, it's a nice little action scene. It's actually very clever because it ends with Jake getting bit by a snake that just like slithers away, and suddenly it's not like oh no I have to worry about these aliens attacking me. It's like oh man, the Amazon sucks. <laughs> yeah, and really cool. Um, something that starts happening throughout this book, which I thought was really interesting, is they start going into more rules for morphine. Like, what it can do, uh, yes, its effects. Yes, exactly, because here Jake points out, um, will I be able to demorph before this uh, poison kills me? And not only that, it's it's is the poison going to stick with my body? Like, will I be poisoned if I demorph? Which I think maybe the process dilutes the poison. Maybe that's what saves him. Uh, I know. would just imagine that, you know, everything that you uh, acquire in your, your new body, all your wounds... Any foreign fluids that were not a part of the original DNA, whoa, whoa, here's those the, will be removed as well. Here's something I never thought about. So they explained where your mass goes when you morph an insect. Sure where did. do you where do you gain mass when you morph? Yeah, something bigger? I don't know if they ever go into that. Um, like you know how Rachel would do the elephant morph. Where is the extra mass coming from? Well, right here with uh, right here with Jake. I mean, this could explain why the poison goes away. Because he, uh, you know, it's a, you know, two hundred ten or a three hundred pound tiger. You know, this is this is a big animal. So um, when he gains that mass, obviously he loses it when he morphs back to human. So you know, and obviously this this tiger had a different blood type than him. It had different organs. So uh, maybe with that being expelled and him getting his stuff back from Z space, or I don't know how it works, but um, it saved him. Yeah, it's a complicated process and it's not really elaborated on at least not yet anyway he lives i think we can safely say that <laughs> barely barely yeah right well anyway uh oh experience is another time flat by the way and then immediately him and tobias uh run off fly off to find rachel who is still in grizzly Moor, and she ain't doing so well <laughs> yeah they find a little kind of a horror scene or something from a horror movie um, here, where they showed earlier that the ants are very tenacious in this rainforest, and specifically here, you've got a dying animal, in this case a grizzly, and the ants are just ready. They they know what to do. We need to start taking this animal apart, and they they're pulling her apart. I mean, they're they're taking bits and pieces back. Oh yeah, yeah. Jake mentions you know the ants are biting out pieces of her flesh and fur and. And I don't Once. know. I don't know where our listeners are. I'm sure you guys are all over the country, and from what we've seen, the world. Um, but I live in Texas right now, and I've never seen anything scary. Well, I've seen some scary things, but yeah, one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my real life is the fire ants down here. I mean, it is insane. I, I've heard stories from my parents. They lived in Fort Worth, Texas, for a little bit uh, back in the day when my brother was born, but. Uh, since I moved here, we had one experience where uh, pretty nice apartment, good part of town, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think, I don't know, we, we had just 
we it's not even like our trash was like full or anything it was like halfway full and maybe we put something in there like an apple or some something sweet smelling or something but somehow that scent got outside through like our window or something of a fairly nice apartment and the ants found a way in and i walked into our kitchen and the floor the entire trash can was covered in fire ants proceeded to kill your family no i i took yeah i took i literally went out got two raid cans and just started killing bugs and it was they're scary though i mean just to see not the object you expect to be there but like a waving moving body of tiny creatures pretty freaking scary yeah and i can't even imagine the sight of a bloody torn apart grizzly bear covered in ants like this like rachel is here and of course jake has another decision to make how the hell is he gonna get rachel out of this one because she ain't waking up (laughs) and even if she does uh, you know i assume demorphing is not gonna save you from ants but they they hearken back to the other books and jake says you know we can't get her here we can't move her we can't do this uh find another ant colony and they're like what what are you talking about it's like jake's like find another ant colony and they Tobias flies off. He finds one real quick. Uh, they get like a stick or something or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he well, yeah, he starts. Bur- uh, they no, they they take her fur. They they tear off fur from Rachel. Yeah, and he, Jake leaves a little trail of this other Red ant crumbs. colony to yeah. lead him over to her. So he's got two ant colonies warring with each other, and that gets all the ants like out of her mouth and her nostrils and things like that. Things that could have killed her when they would have gone inside her, and uh, that gives them just enough time to. You know, wait for her to wake up. She wakes up shortly, and then they're just like, demorph and run. Yeah, demorph and follow me. We're heading yeah. for the stream. Yeah, a stream nearby that Tobias had also found, uh, <laughs> which I immediately freaked up when I saw them do this because I'm like, oh no, they're in the rainforest. Don't go in the water. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> You'd think they'd be a little more worried about it, but no. Uh, yeah, they run straight to the water, and uh, I believe it's Cassie finds them and tells them, you gotta get out of there right now! <laughs> because of the piranha. I'm surprised they went with piranha. Uh, there are much scarier things in the rainforest, like, you know, those tiny little uh, fish that swim up your urethra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ugh. Or just bacteria, stuff like that. Nope, urethra fish. <clears throat> or crocodiles, I thought they were gonna do. Urethra fish. <laughs> uh Anyway, this is when we have the team uh, rejoining Axe, who is, surprise, surprise, still alive. Yay. Huzzah. I mean, I was worried because, you know, he's technically not even an animorph. So yeah. they could really kill him off at any time. Yeah, they could just get another Andalite. Wouldn't be that big of a deal. So anyway, they uh, find Axe again, and this time he is in a new morph, which happens to be a monkey. And it's super funny to everyone. Spider monkey. <laughs> yeah. And he's got the uh, the the all important bug fighters computer core with him. Yeah, basically, so, uh, well, that's good. keeps keeps the Yerks from being able to take off or anything, or even use the uh, bug fighter from what he says. Yeah, and now they're they're kind of back in their plotting phase, and <laughs> um, they decide to go get some new morphs, which conveniently Axe can lead them all back to because he knows where the monkeys are here's a great thing i have to bring this up this is one of my notes um again with establishing more morphing rules uh this is something i was actually wondering like a chapter back when they were talking about being in the jungle and i don't know what brought it up in my mind but 
the fact that if they're turning into these animals, they're morphing into them, couldn't they just touch each other and acquire that morph from the DNA of the animal? But they flat out say, right when they say they're going to go find the other um, spider monkeys, the book actually just stops and says, you know, because we can't use his axes, you know, they establish that rule. You cannot get a morph from a morphed person. Oh, finally, they laid down the law on that. No, it's just weird that I was actually wondering that in this book, and then they just clarified it. I think I know exactly what made you uh, wonder that, though. What? It was when they were talking about uh, plotting what what they should do to get out of the rainforest, and Cassie mentions uh, we could morph Owl and try to fly out or something like that. Um, But at this point in the series, I think Cassie and Rachel are the only ones who have Owl morphs. I don't think anyone else does. That's possible. Could have been it. Um, actually, I think that was one of the Seropedia trivias that I read for uh, a book or a couple ago that they only say that Cassie and Rachel are the two who have owl morphs, yet the other characters use them in one book and then never again. Anyway, going back to this book. Uh, this is when Jake has another time flash moment, and this is finally when he's like, all right, you know what? <laughs> he admits to everyone what's been going on. It took him long enough. I mean, crazy supernatural things are happening to him. And he's like, eh, I better keep this myself. <laughs> that is true. You would think uh, the mention of time travel would have immediately alerted him to like, oh, yeah, shit, this probably has something to do with my brain thing. I kind of understand at the beginning of the book him thinking maybe I'm losing it. But after the time travel and, you know, the arriving in the place that you saw previously... That's well, when and, you speak and up. jumping back in time now to like when he was square dancing and stuff. It's like exactly this is something I should tell Axe about. Yeah, maybe right pull him aside or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is just finally when when he admits that he's been having these time flashes, and so Axe, with equipped with this information, uh, predicts that they have only gone back in time a day or, or you know a couple of hours, however however much time it was, um, and. He informs them that, well, this also means that we have to get home before the Sario Rip occurs again, or we're all going to be erased from time. <laughs> I like this a lot. Uh, there are a lot of movies and TV shows that have either comedically or seriously um, tried to explain what would happen in a time paradox scenario where you have two people existing at the same time. And I think one of the best examples is obviously Futurama's uh, version of it, where the paradoxes just keep dying um, <laughs> and getting killed hilariously. But uh, this is this is great. This is like the universe, more like what you'd think the real universe would be like, unfair and violent. You know, it's not a matter of, oh, two can't live at the same time. One must be gone. It's like, no, oh, you got two people existing at the exact same time? You've, you've gone back in time? That sucks, bro. Yeah, you're both dead. Everyone's dead. Everyone you know is dead. It's just like, like the paradox just wipes out everyone who has anything to do with the paradox and fixes itself. Yeah, it's uh, highly complicated stuff. Yeah, it's it's well explained though. I like it's like they made their own version of it. So my favorite is the uh, Back to the Future version, where one of the people just kind of faints due to shock, and that's really all that happens. <laughs> my favorite is my own, which no one you know, no TV show or anything has ever gone into yet. But I, I like, well, a couple have, but I like the idea, unlike Back to the Future, where you have 
something happening in the past affecting the future and you know marty's disappearing on stage uh because he might never exist if certain things aren't happening i don't like that because that relies on some kind of supernatural force making him disappear and i think in a real world scenario if time travel is ever possible or anything i think if something happens in the past it happens in the past it's happening in real life so it's not a matter of changing future events or changing um what's happening where where someone could disappear it's it's happened when you were in the future that had already happened in the past there's nothing changing on either way because it had already happened so that's my favorite i don't i don't like alternate timelines i don't like multi-timeline scenarios i like one timeline where everything that's already happened has happened and there's no changing anything you're just heading towards the future that already exists huh well that sounds interesting time travel with coleman (laughs) blame me for the sidetracking no it's cool it's gonna be my next podcast (laughs) it's like cosmos but like with less science oh i'd watch that (laughs) um yeah so if they don't if they don't get back in time they're going to be uh wiped from existence yeah so that's kind of the back to the future plot here almost kind of and then we've got x doing one of his his classic hinting at something else knowing something else having more information to add but knowing that they're not going to like it, so he's kind of keeping it to himself, because he says something here, and Jake asks him, do you know more? And he says, I wasn't paying attention that day, or whatever his excuse of the week is. <laughs> this is this is more of a plot point for Jake's storyline than it is anything to do with Axe. It's more of another decision that he uh, is unsure of, whether he should push Axe, and he decides against it, and it, it leads to him feeling bad later of not doing what he knew to be the right thing to do well okay we have got everybody acquires the monkey morphs and they're just having a ball finally swinging through the trees um and that's it's kind of the light-hearted moment of the book other than well since the uh since the square dancing this is really the only other light-hearted moment yeah well they have a good time you know it's it's a fun experience and it uh, uh, i kind of like the um reference to you know, this feels right. This feels like instinctually like something um, we... Something we, in our ancestry. Yeah. Like. And I don't know if it was in this book or if I read it somewhere else, but uh, someone said um, the only reason that we as humans can throw, like we can throw a baseball, is because our shoulder joints at one point, you know, adapted to be able to swing through the trees. So that's why we can overhand throw a baseball. Is because you know we evolved uh, to be able to swing in a tree. Oh, yes. So very interesting. I, I believe that that would make sense. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, let's see. Yeah, and you know what? This is another moment that we haven't really seen, um, for a, a while. Is everybody losing themselves and like having fun in a morph, like all together? You know, the most notable one, obviously, was dolphin. dolphin. Yeah. Um, and I can't think really Dog. if they've done that since yeah mark and or marco mark, and jake mark <laughs> I, I shorten his name sometimes uh mark and jake they lost themselves a little bit in dog and that's always fun but you know you know what i mean about being yeah, a whole group pure joy and they have like a whole scene devoted to it yeah i get, I get you yeah so nice to see one of those again almost made jake's bad decisions thus far seem like they were paying off uh 
And they they swing around this damn forest uh, until they lose track of time, and they're like, "Oh, we should, you know, do something plot advancing." And they're like, <laughs> "Oh, some Harkwajir, yeah, sweet. Let's follow him back to the blade ship." The, no, well, this is where we get the uh, uh, tired human controller number one, who is ordering the his Harkwajir accomplice to just start shooting at all the wildlife, like some random pig. Yeah, because he just wants to take a break because the Harkwajir are. Uh, they're like super soldiers, like barreling through this forest, and yeah, they're like made for this kind of climate. <laughs> yeah, and the humans like straggling behind. So he's like, "Oh, the pig! It looks pretty anamorphy to me. Shoot it!" And he, just, you know, sits down on a log or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, this is somebody doesn't like that. Who do you think? Who do you think doesn't like that? Uh, Rachel. She's pretty nonviolent. <laughs> Cassie's like, "Oh no, we gotta stop him." And I, I like uh, Marco specifically is like. We're not here to save all the animals. We need or to any ourselves. of them. Or anything. <laughs> yeah. Marco's always, he's cool about that. Um, <laughs> he's cool about the nonchalant, not caring about the loss of life. Right. Well, eventually this brings around, uh, the, the controllers start shooting at, like, everything, all the birds and everything, and that includes them, um, the monkeys in particular, which they are. And then this is when Visor 3, like, drops out of a tree in a snake morph and is <laughs> starts wrapping up a hork I can see that being a pretty badass scene, like, in a movie or something. Like, it, like they're going crazy, like, predator-style, like, shooting up the jungle. And <laughs> uh, and then you just see this massive, like, anaconda fall. I imagine it like, uh, like Khan from uh, uh, Jungle Book. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he just slithers up and immediately wraps around a you know hork bajir and and then he's then he starts thought speaking in his terrifying way oh yeah he's he's all sorts of pissed off um at you know the fact that they could be shooting at the spaceship they could shoot at him um it's not good to piss off visitor three as we all know (laughs) and then this is when the group is kind of like oh crap visitor three he's here um, what are we going to do? We could, you know, try and use this computer core as a bargaining chip. It's kind of our, our best bet at the moment. And everyone kind of realizes they've been in morph a while. They need to back off, demorph, regather their efforts a little bit, think things out. And this is when we've got the, uh, the natives once again. Yeah, the tribesmen. Up. Uh-huh, they come back. And, uh, despite their... Their language barrier, which they even do a pretty good job of overcoming, actually. See, this is like what I was talking about. Like those videos you see of uh, modern day, you know, people going to these Brazilian tribes. And it's it's really, you know, mostly mutually respectful. And they're very timid. Like you see these people and they're, even though they're seeing another human, they act like they're seeing, uh, you know, like a dangerous animal or something in the way they approach. But once they get a little comfortable and they, they don't see it as too much of a threat. Uh, you have these awesome scenes of people who... It's not even a matter of language. It's, it's lifestyle barriers in the way. Well, and that's that's really what the Animorphs books are all about. It's finding a way to put our differences aside and, and work together. and Kill something know. as humans because it's different <laughs> and we don't like it. Humans and animals are all deserving of life and freedom and liberty and the pursuit of happiness starring Will Smith. The natives agree uh, that these devil Horkbajir need to go, and the Animorphs and the Animorphs goad them into it. They think the uh, the Animorphs are monkey spirits because I guess they saw them, you know, demorph and whatnot. 
like we said, you know, breaking through the language barrier. Uh, they agree that these Diablos, uh, these these Horkbajir, um, are a problem and need to be eradicated from the uh, jungle. As well as Vizuthri, because they instantly take a disliking to Axe because they think he's him, which they probably Or just not. a crazy blue centaur crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have those. They're all over the place in America. And they, they yeah, so the natives, they kind of like shadow back into the island or back the island. <laughs> yeah, back I imagine the them just backing up slowly into the bushes until they're gone. <laughs> they did disappear field of dreams style. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. And it, it immediately starts to rain. I felt like, you know, they're kind of they're kind of dicks for leaving these kids out there in the <laughs> in the forest during the rain. What are you going to do? Give them some extra loincloths to keep them safe or <laughs> take them back to their village? Put them no. up in a hut. You don't take random strangers and blue centaurs back they to your women they were and children. Gods, or spirits, at least. <laughs> you don't take the spirits back to your village? Who knows this what this is? This could have been the story of uh, the road to El, Di- or El-, El Dorado. <laughs> you know, everybody talks about that movie, and uh, I saw it as a kid, and I thought it was wildly inappropriate. Uh, this is actually another kind of nice moment, I guess, because we've got everyone just kind of sitting down, taking a break, because obviously the rainforest sucks. And we got Cassie and Jake doing their little, you know, what, what do you call it? Relationship building? Flirting? Bonding? I would call this comforting. I don't think it's, <laughs> you know, she just, Loving. she just, uh, she's there for him. You know, he's, he's, she, he is obviously down in a rut and it's more than just, oh crap, we're going to die again. It's, no, you know. And to be fair, she does a really good job of comforting him as well. I mean, she tells him he's making all the calls right and tells him to rest which he does they all kind of take a little napper napper which man they should have had a watch or some, not not a watch like a on your wrist but like someone keeping watch they do um, axe well he falls asleep too so <laughs> yeah he's got that internal end like clock I'm i know sure i'm saying a, someone should have stayed button. awake because they're on a really really tight schedule here and they're all incredibly tired that leads to sleeping in, which they do. Just luckily, not enough. They, they should have been more punctual. Darn exactly. kids. Um, and then finally, I, I was like waiting for it forever. This is finally when we have Jake waking up and there's just a jaguar in his face. And of course he acquires it. Yeah, he gets, he gets, he gets another big cat morph, which is cool. Yeah, it took a while though. I feel like we're nearing the end of the book. Yeah, they did introduce the... Uh, titular. Well, it's not titular, but... Um, the coverular. Coverler book. I felt like animal. maybe a more appropriate animal to put on the cover of this book would have been the monkey, since they give so much uh, It's not as so much importance to that. It's not as sexy, though. I guess, but I don't think they use a monkey anywhere else in the covers. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't remember. Well, they use a, an ape. Not the same thing. Not a, not a spider monkey or whatever you were saying. Yeah, I think a spider monkey would be more appropriate in the sense that diversify their book covers. But Well, I think it's cool that they all managed to acquire the jaguar here. It's not just Jake's big cat morph. It's everybody's big cat morph. I'm glad they went with the jaguar because it's going to lead to way better thought speak uh, website cover art. So, oh, <laughs> that's my thoughts. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Everybody acquires the Jaguar, with Axe being the last, because he's like, Axe, you can probably run the fastest, so you're going to be the last one to get this cat. 
keep an axe down. <laughs> as soon as as soon as they acquire and escape it, everybody morphs it. Except for Tobias, who's left to fly around and point out, oh, there's lights over that way. It could be a village. <laughs> Can't wait till book 13. <laughs> hey, it's coming up. I know. Um, yeah, and it, it's a cool scene here uh, with everyone kind of enjoying the big cat morph. And Jake's like, been there, done that. Whatever. I was doing this before. It was cool, you guys. <laughs> you don't even know. Tigers are way better. He could have gone tiger right here and been just comfortable in the uh, jungle, as we saw earlier. Everybody travels, you know, through the through the forest, following uh, Tobias's leadership to these uh, lights. And as soon as they get within range, they discover, oh crap, it's it's the blade ship. And Visor Three even had their their bug fighter dragged there as well. So he's been pretty productive in these last couple of hours, hasn't he? Small note here. Um... It's my last note, actually, for this book. Oh, good. Taxons are crawling all over this uh, bug fighter, and it says that they've just finished repairing it. Um, so the bug fighter's all ready to go or whatever. But the Animorphs make a little joke here, or they're just talking, about, hey, those Taxons over there, they almost look like they're at home in the rainforest. They could fit right in around here. Yeah. Yeah. Are you reading that from my notes? <laughs> no. Are you put it in your notes, too? Yeah. Huh. No, no, that's that's my last note that I wrote down before we got started. Uh, I just thought that was some nice book 53 foreshadowing. <laughs> well, just series end foreshadowing. Yeah, I wonder if she, I bet she did when she was, you know, since she had at least Ghost Riders or whatever, um, when she was picking it up in the countdown to the last book, uh, I bet she read like the first 15 books and tried to pull from those for references and you know, all the stuff in the end series. That, or she just had the end already in mind. <laughs> Probably, but I think you see details of her having just done that, like the whole lobster morph thing with Marco and things like that. It, it almost seems like she trawled the archives to make some cool references to the beginning of the series. Hmm, could be. We should ask her that if we, we ever, should. If, if we ever catch her in a moment where she's lost her mind. Decides to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, I secretly think that she listens to every episode and her hate grows for us. <laughs> I hope not. I love Catherine. Catherine? Just, just throwing that out there. We really do like Cassie. Story-wise, what's going on? Jake uh, begins to question X about why he's the only one having the time flashes. Uh, I, I Which is a good point. Can't believe they hadn't, you know brought it up before then i didn't even think about that until the book brought it up i well, was like I, oh yeah I actually uh i actually had some thoughts about maybe the other animorphs experiencing time flashes as well because i noticed uh there are two lines uh by marco in the book uh or i should say throughout the book that seem like they're just like perfect lines that would imply that he was also experiencing some time flashes and maybe saw some things mm -hmm. because uh, at one point, I think when they're deciding to go on the mission, um, Marco says something along the lines of uh, we're alive dot, dot, dot for now. And then it said like Marco said ominously, which would seem to imply that, you know, Marco could have seen a flash of what happens here in the end. Yeah, it's definitely a cool theory, but I think it's, I don't know, it's kind of 
Well, no, it, it falls derailed. apart because they specifically yeah. point out that Jake is the only one experiencing this. Yeah, that's that's why. It falls Trust out. me, I was really excited to be like, oh, I'm gonna slam down this new theory, Marco. He knew all along. Man. I figured it out. Yeah. But I I think they they point out that Jake's the only one here. Yeah. Unfortunate. So uh, before Axe can even explain this, because this seems like uh, the missing puzzle piece of the information here. Yeah. Uh, before he's given the chance to explain, Tobias notices that Visitor 3, the the Visitor 3 that he's been watching inside the blade ship, I imagine in like a, one of the blade ship's windows, it's just like a silhouette of him that never moves. No, I pictured I pictured it like a uh, like an image that looks for the most part 3D um, and looks almost lifelike, except like they point out it stutters every once in a while, and it's just his head like looking back. And forth. And <laughs> I, I imagine it's uh it's just like on um Home Alone when he's <laughs> trying to make it look like his house is full of people and he's got like the Michael the Jordan on a train stand the, up. Yeah, yeah, the, the cutouts. <laughs> it looks like that. So uh, Tobias realizes we've been had. We've been duped. This 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 Visitor 3 is a is a phony. Anyway, uh Visitor 3 is apparently a hologram decoy, so uh Visitor 3 takes them by surprise. Like appears behind him suddenly twirling his mustache in, <laughs> in his in his lovely Lurdathak morph interestingly enough from the Hork-Bajir's homeworld it's like a big uh it's like a dead giant carcass of a tree with vines coming out of it from every angle yeah um, i almost imagine like a like a big piece of broccoli but the the tips of the uh broccoli you know extend into vines I pictured it as like a, if you saw like a redwood tree, like a really thick round tree, and you'd hollow it out the middle, uh, and put like shove some other plant with vines up into that. That would look like. And the the mouth on it is it's not like on the trunk; it's like on the top. Yeah, exactly. Kind of around, kind of like the sarlacc, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess kind of. I mean, like. With tentacles coming with vines out. Vines and tentacles, yeah, and more plant-like, sure. Exactly, so that's the that's the Lurdathak. Uh, Visitor 3's in this gigundo Lurdathak morph, which is grabbing everybody with its vines and shoving them in its mouth-like thing, and Jake, like, thinks, you know, holy crap, Visitor 3's eating my friends! And Visitor 3 mentions, in wide-range thought speak, he's keeping them alive. Like, he, he has some way to kill them once they're inside. I guess he could just further his digestive process. But he specifically says that he's he's keeping them alive until he gets Jake or, or gets one of them or, or decides what to do with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's just collecting. Remember, he's a collector. Yep. That's why he gets these morphs. <laughs> um, so Jake, you know, he's like, how am I, I can't even get close. What am I going to do? He demorphs. Wait, where does he demorph? No, no, no. This is, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's. He's in it deep. <laughs> yeah. And then the the natives come out and start chucking their spears. Yeah. This is yeah. when, you know, their triumphant return here. Exactly. And then this is like Jake Jake's realization that the creature's vines that are coming out of it are like vines that, you know, could swing on as a monkey. Per yeah, se. but where's Jake go to demorph? That's what I'm thinking. Like, see... This is when he runs off, when the, the natives are, are attacking. So he just goes like further off in the forest, you think? Yeah, yeah. He runs okay. off into the forest and demorphs quick and morphs monkey instead and then this is when uh visitor three is finally i guess shirked off the spears that were chucked at him and scared the natives away 
Jake reappears as a monkey and basically proceeds to just, you know, climb up the visitor and stab him with a spear. Oh, but it's kind of cool because the, the natives chuck him the one last spear. Oh, I'm sure that was, uh, you know, terrible, terrible movie. But uh, the like first Alien vs. Predator, there's a great scene where um, the alien queen is out and she's a, they're on top of uh, one of the ice shelves of Antarctica or, uh, or, yeah, wherever in the South Pole. And the queen's, like, killing everybody and running around destroying buildings. It's like a big T-Rex queen-looking thing. And there's one part where she's, like, about to get one of the main characters. And behind her, the predator jumps up and he like unfolds his spear does like a little spin move and then just stabs her through the side of the head and i assume it was exactly like that like jake and monkey morph swings up a vine <laughs> you know one of the natives throws him the spear he grabs it turns around uses the you know motion to get more force behind the spear throwing I, i'm sure it was epic as he's flying through the air he shouts ko ken <laughs> times 10 <laughs> turns red and shoots into him <laughs> But, unfortunately, this, who knew this sharpened stick uh, with a little bit of plant poison wouldn't kill this giant alien plant creature. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, he, he definitely gets caught uh, by the visitor. And the visitor's, you know, maybe he was in pain a little bit. Or maybe he was just, his pride was hurt. Well, I think it was implied that he'd been stabbed enough with enough poison darts that he'd probably, well, no, he could be more. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, but he's still surrounded by natives. Either way, he's pissed off, and uh, Jake is uh, in his grasp, and Visitor's just like, screw it, I don't even want to collect you guys anymore, and he strangles Jake to death. Oh, no, yeah, he, he totally snaps his little monkey neck. <laughs> yeah, he's Jake's dead. That, that happened. We were joking about it all through the episode, but this is where Jake dies. <laughs> For reals. Totally. Although it doesn't really matter, because in the next chapter, he wakes up outside uh, of the motel right before they're about to run the mission so right convenient. before they are questioning whether they should go on this mission and they're feeling weird and everything and i love it because jake's like if you think about the build-up in the beginning of the book leading to this moment if they had started that book and then out of nowhere jake's like no we should totally not do this mission go home everybody it'd be really weird but that's totally yeah what happens. yeah that's true Although, it, it seems like kind of a weirdly convenient place for them to snap back to. I mean, why wouldn't he snap back to the first instance of... He didn't snap back to anything. Um, well, I mean, his, his consciousness snapped back, you could argue. But it's just a matter of timing. This is what time um, they were oh, at Oh, that's what time it actually was, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what the real-world time of when he was killed by Visitor 3 was right before this question the mission started yeah and that's that's another time when marco said something really weird um it was something about oh uh, oh no it's when they're talking about uh before they're about to go to the blade ship he says go into the light and makes yeah. a uh reference to poltergeist oh yeah great oh and jake says jake says what does that mean go into the light and he says well it means to die i thought that was another yeah quote. and you know what the more tom hooper directed movie references uh we get on this show the better um living with tom hooper <laughs> but the um i don't think it's that convenient either because sure this is a moment that they allude to it's like oh this is the decision that started it all but this is like the fourth time they've questioned going on a mission in this book so it's you know they could have it could have flashed back before any of those times and they could have stopped the mission so um, right well this, yeah, this is the perfect moment because immediately he's like nope we're out skis 
Yep. No more missions. Everyone bail. <laughs> and uh, it's great because then this leads into, um, you know, earlier Axe had said um, when he revealed that his, his, you know, theory that none of them would remember anything if they could collide these universes and get back to their other bodies. Um, he says that really, if Jake's the only one having these uh, flashes, these time flashes, then really the other ones, the other Animorphs, this never happened. Something got fixed, and they're not even there. It's a memory of what they had done, but they weren't... Re- it's really confusing, but I loved it. I loved how uh, it, it kind of made sense in the sense that Jake is the only one experiencing these things, even though in a possible timeline, the others went through it as well, and that's the shadow of what Jake has seen during the entire mission in the jungle. Right, yeah. It, it, uh, they pointed out that they could have all been just memories, Jake's memories in particular. Yeah, so that's why when he gets back, um, you know, none of them remember it because Jake is the only one who actually experienced any of this and they haven't experienced it yet because they haven't been there jake was able to stop it by saying no so uh just great and that's the dialogue scene with him and axe is him you know telling axe everything that happened convincing them that it did happen and And the thing that really convinces axe is when he drops the term sorry rip which he wouldn't have known otherwise of course yeah unless he was a yerk (laughs) (laughs) uh the capture it never got fixed. Um, <laughs> the recapture. Yeah, and so they explain. Yeah, everything snapped back when, when Jake died, and I dug the hell out of that. I thought that was great. And it's it's. I know this book is probably bandied about as kind of a Deus Ex Machina. I disagree with that completely. Um, I thought this was super super clever of an ending, and I thought they dropped enough hints towards it and built up to it enough that it wasn't out of nowhere. Wow, geez, are you are you just going into your review? <laughs> I might as well. I mean, I'll I'll review the crap out of this right now. Do it. I'm gonna do it. Here's my review. So when I was starting to read this book, uh, I couldn't remember if I'd read it before because I'm getting into areas where it's like, did I read this teen book? Did I not? I mean, this you know some of the some of the in between ten and twenty. I can't remember if I read or not. So uh, I couldn't remember if this was one, but I started remembering things like the jungle and and Visitor Three's crazy morph at the end. So I had read this at some point. But I never really remembered it as, you know, like one of the better books or anything. And after reading it, I, I read this really two day, three days ago. I finished this book and usually we read them much more in advance than that. But for various reasons, I didn't get to it until about three days ago. And I just I, I can't believe I didn't remember this book. This is one of the best books so far. And I'm I'm right on the verge of saying best book so far. And this is just a random, you know. Oh, that's some high praise. It really is. And I, I wasn't expecting it. But from the way the beginning started out, with like I was saying, that whole tone of everything, and Jake's questioning his leadership, him coming to his own, it's not done over the top. Like, you know, some of their reasons for becoming Animorphs, you know, book one through five, you know, he gave each an- uh, Animorph a reason to be an Animorph and fight the Yerks. Some of those were kind of over the top and not very subtle with their reasonings. Whereas this book, uh, it's trying to do something else. It's trying to give us a way to empathize with Jake being a leader and his decisions and everything. Um, but it does it in a much more subtle manner of him just questioning himself. And he's bringing it up constantly. But the way he's doing it is so well written. And everything to do with Jake, the tone of this book, it's its like the Marco shifts when you get to a Marco book. It feels like a Marco book. 
this is the first Jake book, even though we've had two other ones. This is the first Jake book that feels like this is who Jake is. I get Jake now because of this book. And it's incredibly well written. And it's so thought out. The The storyline is complicated. It's complex. It's clever. We're getting a lot more world building with the morphine, with uh, how this universe works, uh, introducing some of the cosmic elements of the series that are going to be prevalent you know, through so much more. But uh, in a really, really good way. And I, I love the time titles at the beginning of each chapter. I love everything. I thought this book was much, much better than I was expecting it. Even though it has some of the cliches of the other ones, Visitor 3 showing up, things like that. Um, even when we get into the jungle, which is where it slows down a little bit, um, it's still just firing on all cylinders. It's just, this is the... Everything in this book with the time travel, with the morphine, uh, with the way the characters are portrayed, this is the best representation of Animorphs as an overall series I think the books have done so far. So, uh, I wasn't expecting this, but this is a 5 out of 5 for me. This is a 5 out of 5 Spear Chucks. It, it's been done! Yeah, I, it sucks, because I, uh, I think I made the argument for the last book, even though I really liked it. Uh, I made the argument that it didn't have enough iconic moments or things set up um, to get it yeah, a 5 out of 5. Nuts. <laughs> uh, but I'd say the iconic thing that this book represents is this represents Animorphs, the book series. This is what every... Um, other book tries to be is this book the elements that are done this and the way it's written and how um, well everything all these elements that are throughout the rest of the series are woven into this one storyline it's it's pretty close to perfect wow wow i i love it when you review the books first because then i can just say ditto because <laughs> seriously you you did point out i mean most of everything I had, and just so much more than I could even ever say. Um, so I'll just tell you what I liked about the book, because there really wasn't anything that I didn't like about it. Um, I, I just enjoy the fact that the characters are all showing growth in their own particular ways, and especially Jake, who has been kind of a broad, sort of generic authority figure yeah. for the group thus far. Um, you really get to see him uh, come around and, and, and question his decision-making uh, ability. And that stuff is, that's, that's what's interesting about Jake, as you have uh, pointed out. I like the fact that everyone's uh, strategizing morphs, finally. But I already pointed out that that just could be because they have more morphs to choose from now. But seriously, man, you, you've said it all. Uh, despite that, I am going to give it a four out of five. What? I know. I know. Because it, it is one that I, I did read a long time ago and I remembered it. Um, although the ending made a lot more sense to me now than it did to me back then. I think back then it kind of went over my head. Um, so this time around, uh, I, I understood and enjoyed the ending. Um, Still, that said, uh, I don't think it adds enough to the overall canon of the series. Um, that's why I gave the Android a five, because it added the Chi. Such a huge thing. Um, whereas this book, it, it, you're dead right. I mean, it is entertaining. It is fun. It is the Animorphs book that all books should strive to achieve. Um, and for that, I, it, it earns a four. 
but that five slot is the ones that I deem critical to read. And this one, it's fun, but I, I don't think it's critical. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, four out of five, Lurdathax. Ooh. <laughs> Going for the alien name twice two episodes. Oh, you remembered. <laughs> uh, well, I see this. Uh, the way I think about it is you're right about the android, and I give that a four out of five because I really liked it. And I love the iconic moments. Um, but the tone of that book was... Oh, it was constantly like, we're screwed. <laughs> well, it was. It was. It had some goofy elements too, whereas it had one of the best, darkest you know, battle scenes at the end and everything. And the whole Eric Chi is awesome and is great for the series. But uh, Animorphs, you know, the android... It felt more like um, some of the parts of Animorphs where they're trying to be goofy and they're trying to be lighthearted, but they're also trying to show battle scenes and stuff. Um, I mean, that's just the fact that it was narrated by Marco, but... Yeah, you know what? Marco really took a back seat in this book. Yeah, but but the android, I felt, is more sci-fi. Um, whereas this one's totally that too, but this one was trying to be more real world. I thought, I thought it, it fit whenever the te- whenever the series does that, I like it more because these are just teenagers and they live in the real world and they're just happening to encounter these, um, you know, sci-fi elements. And that's when I think the series is at its best. And to compare it, I would equate the Android more to a, you know, this is kind of an obvious comparison, but it's more of a mission impossible type movie if, if we're talking about the animorphs in a spy genre of movies oh yeah um, I, no i see your point yeah yeah, yeah. it was a, it was the a android heist is... <laughs> heist film yeah the android is more uh mission impossible with some you know crazy elements that are crazy and actiony and stuff like that uh whereas the um the forgotten is like tinker taylor soldier you know <laughs> spy thriller just crazy and and uh realistic and and scary that's hmm. uh, that's what i dug about it I dug the crap out of it. Well, it was definitely an enjoyable book. I will give it that. And in fact, uh, I'm, I'm usually I'm excited, but I'm not so excited to go on to next week's The Reaction. I don't know much about next week's. I don't think I have read it. I don't remember the cover with her turning into an alligator. Uh, I guess it's about um, some sickness, some morphine sickness or something. Is that right? Like they can't uh, control their morphs or something? Well, it's it's not they, it's just Rachel, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember more from the TV show episode of that book than I, I do, you know, the books. So I don't think I've read that book. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's another one that, you know, I think it'll be better than The Secret. I'll give it that. <laughs> okay, that's good. Because apparently we're not allowed to have another episode like The Secret, because our fans will hate us i doubt that very much no but i'm glad this this book i needed this book to revamp my uh interest and and push me forward so um i'm I'm, I'm glad it existed and it's written so well that is a valid point um i am going to go ahead and bring up the uh reddit from last week's episode to read some comments. Do we have any uh, emails this week? I don't think we got an email. I think a lot of the people who usually email us are starting to jump on Reddit. So Really? Hmm. Okay. Well, in that case, I will, uh, I will go ahead and take some Reddit comments here. Uh, one of my favorites was from this Chinchillax, which is probably 
one of the coolest names. I might have to use that in a book someday. Chinchillax. <laughs> that sounds like a demon, doesn't it? Yeah. To, to, for our listeners who are confused right there why Mitch would be channeling demons into his books, uh, that's kind of what his books are about, you know, demons and angels and hell and heaven. <clears throat> so it's a pretty awesome book series. Oh, so thanks, myself. buddy. The Coleman Bump, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Delish days. Check it out. Anyway, uh, Reddit user Chinchillax says, Oh yeah, my weekly dose of Animorph fandom, you guys rock. And he included a gif from the movie Mulan, so that makes me happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he goes on to say, I like your comment, uh, this was you, Coleman, I like your comment that Axe considers each morph like he's holding a loaded gun. I think that fits perfectly to his behavior when in morph. That's a good quote from you. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that after I said it. I really like most of the things I say. <laughs> Going back through, I was like, wow, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt with my face. Uh, Chinchelax goes, goes on to say, with regard to acts on the stairs, I've never really thought about how quadrupedal species like the Andalites would fare against stairs. Have they ever mentioned Andalites having ships with stairs on them? I think they say that they all have ramps. Yeah. Um. Do you think they did use ramps to go from floor to floor? Well, yes, I did. <laughs> Perhaps something like stairs wouldn't even show up in non-bipedal alien species architecture. They've probably mentioned this in the series, and I just don't remember. Well, I think they're subtle about it. They they just talk about ramps whenever they're talking yeah, about animals. Yeah, they don't go into that too much, but we can make a lot of assumptions based on their biology. Yeah. I am completely floored that you guys could even momentarily flub the title of Let It Go from Frozen. Let me explain, Chinchillax. I think what I said in the episode was Let It Flow. Is that correct? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but if I said Let It Flow, it was because uh, working at an elementary school, around the time that movie came out, not a day went by that I could get out of there without hearing that song at least once. I don't, think I've, I don't think I've heard the song. Yeah. Have you not seen Frozen? No. I mean, oh. I, I wouldn't mind to. I love I love Disney movies, and I'm excited at the idea that uh, they have a new one that people are really digging. So. Oh well, it it wasn't bad. It had some things. <laughs> On the Thought Speak review of Frozen. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Uh, the Princess and the Frog was supposed to be really good too, and I, I hadn't checked that out yet. So I need to see both oh. of those. Well, I, I'm an old school Disney animation fan. What I was trying to say was that uh, working at this elementary school, I hear Let It Go every single freaking day. And uh, occasionally, if a, if a student has to say something that sounds even remotely like it, they will start to sing. And <laughs> on one occasion, the, the magic words just so happened to be Let It Flow, which uh, ended up in a rousing chorus line of Let It Flow. So... That's what I was referencing. Wait, Do how, how does the song go? Can you give us a couple bars? It goes, let it go, let it go. Like that. Yeah? It's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that song had been so completely ingrained in pop culture that there had been no human alive that it escaped from having it stuck in their heads. If instead of slugs, the Yerks were an alien race that enslaved people by getting songs stuck in people's heads, you, would, you guys would be part of a select group of people that could save us all. Congrats. Thank you. At least me. You've seen the movie. <laughs> so you would be taken over. I'm just the insider. I'm looking at. <laughs> uh, and then Chinchillax asks, 
So, <laughs> I know, I still said it wrong. So, where is that link to the older model Rachel singing Let It Go? Now, to be fair, he's talking about what uh, I brought up. Um, yeah, exactly. Which I had, I saw that someone linked it on my Facebook feed. Uh, I didn't click on it because I've never well, seen the I, movie. I do the the, the, the notes and, and updating the website. And yeah, Mitch, where was you it? You never showed me a link to it, sir. I didn't have a link. Well, you were supposed to provide the link. I saw that somebody posted it, and the post specifically said uh, the actress who was singing it uh, was known for her role as Rachel on the Animorphs TV show. Or no, no, no. Well, it, it, it was is the uh, she wasn't the TV show. She was Rachel, um, the from the model uh, of the front of the books. Oh, okay, yeah, exactly. Well, listeners, if Coleman ever gets me a link to that, I will include it in the sharing. Not gonna happen. Google it, people. <laughs> uh, we're in a basement elevator Elevator headed straight up was that a reference to I'm on a roller coaster that only goes up from The Fault in Our Stars no no it was not a reference to that book I just made that up I am I... just that funny <laughs> by the way you make reference to Animorphs fanfics a lot on the show have you ever actually read any Animorphs fanfic and if so do you have any recommendations unfortunately no I just I just talk about all the fanfics that I want to read Without ever actually researching them. <laughs> I wish I was a better fan, because um, while I haven't gotten into the Animorphs fanfics much, I did start reading one that I thought was particularly interesting. And I know there's a bunch that do this, so I can't name the specific one, but it was particularly uh. good. But it, it basically took up um, seconds after the book series ended. It, it was, it was you know, ram the blade ship, and then this fanfic started with them ramming the blade ship. And it took place um, mostly on Earth. I think it. I think it went away from that and went back to Earth. And there were animorphs, or there were like new animorphs there. There are other people, and it started with a new cast. And I read like four or five chapters, and it was indistinguishable from an actual animorphs book. It was really good writing, and they had, uh, from what I saw, they had like twenty or twenty-five books written that take place after the animorphs series already. What? No. Yeah. Books or chapters? No, books. They had 25 books written after the end of the series. I assume they've been doing this for years. Um, you might have to You might have to provide a link to this. I don't know where it is. I just saw it once. I started reading a few chapters well, of it. do some research, buddy. Google follow, it, Coleman. Follow the paper trail. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and my, my only problem with that is I, I have a mental block. Even though I was enjoying it. I have a mental block in my head saying this isn't the real story, so it's pointless to read it. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. It's like, why read it? It's not, it's not canon. It could be retconned. <laughs> now that's how everybody feels about Star Wars. Uh, so many EU books that we've all enjoyed and read, and uh, now they're all gone, which is good because now we can have a real continuity. But, um, hmm. but yeah, there's there's a lot of books after uh, that take place after the original movies and. Uh, but Coleman can't tell you the names of them. <laughs> I can tell you there's a few of those. I haven't read any of them. But... No, 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 not Star Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever you're talking about. I'm talking about animals. Star Wars. I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, saying. Let's continue here. Mercury Chaos, user Reddit user Mercury Chaos says, Well, ungulates can walk up and down stairs, and then included links to some videos of okay, okay. horses and stuff doing that. Let me that. clear the air here. When I was talking about that on the episode, and I thought I cleared the air on Reddit, but I guess no one paid attention. Um, I wasn't talking about the ability of a horse-like or a deer-like creature to walk up and downstairs. I was talking about the fact that Axe was in human morph, 
and he, while walking down the stairs, morphed to Andalite. I call BS on that. No well, way. Yeah, I, I think that just would look very awkward. And, I mean, he was the last one on the stairs. So, if you think about it, he'd be taller than everyone. No. And he, I, I assume that when he starts morphing Andalite, it's just a big growth that comes out of his back that slowly forms into, like, his hind end and legs. The morphine is completely random. So, there's no way you could start morphing, uh, you know, more I'm sure, legs I'm sure and a tail and all Axe of that. has gotten it. the art of demorphing down enough that he knows his own body, that he can somewhat control what aspects are coming out. Especially in a focused spot, like on the stairs. I think he would know to bring out his his little hinders. But you're facing downwards. To provide some stability. Walking downwards. You know, you don't, even if you control where your legs come out and all that stuff, you'd have to balance and then fall onto your front legs while they're half formed while walking downstairs. I, no, not happening. Uh, no, dude, I'm saying he's he's still walking down the stairs with his, like his human legs would be his front andalite legs. Like uh, the back end is I what's assumed, coming out of it. I assume this would be his back legs. No, no, bro. His back end is coming out of his back. So really, all it's doing is as he's walking down these stairs, he's dragging. Yeah, he's turning into a hooves. cancerous mash, mass <laughs> behind him. Yeah, but the the four little or the two little hind legs are gonna pop out and kind of try to balance him. As he's yeah, going. I still don't. I don't buy it. Well, anyway, Mercury Chaos goes on to say, I think Andalites probably can use the stairs if they have to, but I doubt they'd incorporate them into their own architecture. Oh, and then you replied to this guy. Huh. What I say? Was it clever and witty? No, you said almost exactly what you just said. What I took issue with wasn't an Andalite walking down the stairs, but axe morphing from human to Andalite while maneuvering the steps. That seemed a little implausible. Wow, I'm so clever and witty. You are. And then Mercury Chaos responded to you kindly and said, Yep, I remember, and that does seem plausible. Actually, just morphing while on a staircase, standing still, could be risky all by itself. Maybe Cassie could do it, since she's like the morphing ninja, but anyone else who would have, anyone else who would just have to hope their new limbs didn't land too far off the edge of a step and make them lose their balance. Yeah. Thank you, Mercury Chaos. You are a beacon of intelligence and light in a dark universe. Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mer- 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 Mercury Chaos uh, uh, commented again towards the bottom here and said, I was reading along as I listened to the episode and I noticed that the human controller head of security at the MATCOM building specifically says that the Femlite crystal <clears throat> is worth more than the mothership and everything in it. Assuming this is literally true, their whole mission impossible style security system would definitely not be overkill. They're probably not just thinking about the Andalite bandits, but also the possibility that one of their own people might be tempted to steal it. Okay, I guess the super dark (laughs) wire laser shark infested room was not overkill. (laughs) It's actually interesting that they kept it on Earth to begin with, you know. Maybe they didn't trust um, themselves enough to keep it on the mothership. I, I don't know. They they could have done a lot of things more clever with that crystal. <laughs> yeah, like put it in any other state but the one the Andalite Bandits are in. That is true. Or why not just freaking store it on the blade ship? What's wrong with that? Well, they, they said they don't trust their own people, so. They can trust Visor 3, I think. Yeah, he should sew a little pocket into his hide and keep it in there. <laughs> Exactly. All right. This thing's run uh, two hours, 19 minutes, my good man. So uh, what say you, since we don't have any reader emails this week? Reader emails? Listener emails? You guys you guys listen to the show, right? No, they, they print out transcripts and, and read it. <laughs> I wish. I want that book. 
<laughs> uh, people are drunk by now. <laughs> Wait, or, oh, we should totally drink while we record <laughs> yeah that worked out so well oh yeah we I did can't that wait. i can't wait till megamorphs 2 oh okay, get wasted. Uh, we should try different illicit drugs during the megamorphs episodes <laughs> <laughs> i read megamorphs 2 on lsd and i swear i was a t-rex i i, I overdosed on megamorphs number four <laughs> our listeners would love that well no seriously we don't have any we don't have any listener emails this week Sad face. Oh, guys. Brony face. Guys. Come on, Heather Haskell. What are you doing? We need at least three emails from uh, from our regulars. Uh, Come on, Jeremy Crippo. Yeah, yeah. They're doing good about, uh, you know, we, we don't just need emails. I like that people are moving to Reddit, and we've got a lot of Facebook comments. And our, Come on, our, Dylan. Our website's a little sad. We get like one, maybe one comment on an episode on the website. But I get we that used to because... Get, we used to get more epi- or more comments on the episodes. And we haven't for the last, last couple. Yeah, last couple has been barren. But I think that's because um, a lot of people, they just listen to podcasts through iTunes um, and Stitcher and things like that. So um, probably a ton of people have never even seen our website and seen the amazing cover art that graces its pages. Oh, yeah, of course. Plug the cover art. Yeah, <laughs> which there is a way to have individual cover arts on individual episodes on iTunes. I just would rather our main logo be on there. So, Yeah, well, the point is we're trying to make this whole thing uh, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun, especially for you know fans of the series, and uh, definitely trying to make our website a lot cooler and more interactive. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten some pretty good feedback so far, but we want to keep trying to make it more entertaining i guess more uh bring the community together that's sort of what we're going for with this the sharing idea yeah and uh i'd like to you know put this format to use in the episodes i want to maybe come up with some actual segues that introduce each uh segment if we start adding segments to the podcast and and really really do this up professionally yeah yeah the, the point is we're uh we're still growing and uh, we, we got a ways to go before we're sitting at exactly where we want to be sitting at. But we, yeah. we've got more things to come, like the like the After Dark episodes you mentioned before. Yeah. Maybe after we get past the uh, Season 2 masturbatory uh, Megamorphs 2 episode, um, I'll redo all the segues and stuff or something. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, gosh, I can't wait till that book. Megamorphs 2, yes. Megamorphs 2, and then it leads right into my favorite books of the series. So It'll be a good one. Yeah, so it's looking like the schedule is going to be uh, number 12, The Reaction, next time. Followed by, we're going to do book 13 first, and then we're going to do The Andalite Chronicles. Which, that's going to be an interesting episode. Let's see if we can... Uh... If we're that running, going to be a good one. If we're running two and a half hours episode... Uh, two and a half hour episode on uh you know book 11 i can't imagine what we're gonna do with a chronicles book dude uh we should get a co-host for andalite chronicles i think i think andalite chronicles is one that would warrant a a third co-host yeah guest host i think that would be interesting to get a perspective on these books from someone who knows nothing about the series and uh you know you we could catch them up we could catch them up on the important elements and uh and honestly the chronicles books I think they're actually meant to stand alone. I think they're weird and they tie into the series, but I think they are pretty strong by themselves. Minus, I think Vizzer is a little 
super entwined into uh, yeah yeah that that one is um but that was supposed to be its own book that was supposed to be like book 30 35 or 36 so oh well that would have been cool um yeah i don't know any of the megamorphs ones i guess or the chronicles books are are pretty good standalone ones to maybe get some co-hosts in or something there's another podcast dear listeners that i loved i was in love with it it was better than any tv show i'd ever watched it was my it was what i looked forward to every week it was a podcast called yeah it's that bad and it was a podcast that reviewed terrible movies that had bad rotten tomato scores and just tried to see like reevaluate them and see if they uh stood up or if they were as bad as people made them not see and these co-hosts it started out with two of them and they were excellent they were great they were hilarious they had their own personalities you really got to know them it felt like they were like friends and that you had met and like you know you were in the room with and then somewhere around like podcast number 20 or 22 or something uh they added a third person kevin and it went from really good to just great with a three host format i think we could benefit from that as well i'm not saying for sure i mean you and i have a pretty good rapport but we get the right hosts uh a three person can really liven things up yeah i'd be down for it is i think this is a good episode this was one of the best i will say and you know what uh i'm partially excited to read the reaction i'm partially excited to have a reaction to the reaction (laughs) there you go i hope your reaction is not forgotten it's probably gonna be a bowel movie (laughs) (laughs) oh well that'll be a great change let's wrap things up hopefully i can edit this down to a cool two hours but i doubt it i think this can be a i think this can be our longest episode. everything we say is gold for some reason people are gonna be looking through our itunes and our book number 11 is going to be longer than our megamorphs review so (laughs) (laughs) so again thanks for listening you can find more ways to listen to the show by going to thoughtspeakcast.com follow us on twitter at morphcast or like us on facebook Send us your thoughts on an upcoming episode by emailing us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com, and we'll read it on the air. Finally, reviews on iTunes are so important, and you won't give them to us. Give us your reviews. (laughs) Help us grow! We need them. We've got nine reviews, and they're all spectacular, and we appreciate every single one. But we need more. The more reviews you have on iTunes... um, they actually feature you and spread you to everyone else. So if you want this podcast to blow up, if you love our two hour and a half episodes that are random as hell and talking about Star Trek and space travel and Sario rips, you need to review us on iTunes. Speak up. Look, the fact is we need to get famous on your coattails. So <laughs> put in the work, do it for us, and we promise uh, we will... We, we promise we believe in trickle-down economics. So <laughs> what's good for us is good for you. We're, we're building a pyramid here. <laughs> not, not a pyramid scheme. It's a, it's a pyramid structure. Um, the pyramid's here. a metaphor. <laughs> it's an analogy. It's really complicated. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, please, any reviews on iTunes. <laughs> so, please, iTunes reviews are good. <laughs> uh, do that for us. We, we beg it of you. Uh, and that's it. That is our episode happy with it and uh, i hope you enjoyed it i did friend i'm not talking oh was it not no i'm talking to our listeners who we (laughs) love and cherish uh yep well anyway my name's mitchell and my name's coleman join us next time on thought speak